Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Welcome, everybody, to episode 55. And if you're wondering why I might have had a little laugh in my voice, it's because I had to redo the intro here. But Nick, you're sitting next to somebody. He's in town somehow, some way. I'm not sure why he's down there. Introduce us to who you yep. have sitting next to you. I have Adam Hammes sitting next to me, elite uh, elite team player from Team Discraft, and he's been at the last few events, so he's got some incredible insight to give us on the Pro Tour and everything going down with that. So super excited to have him in person and all that jazz. All that jazz. So yeah, yeah. So Adam, you have on a shirt that says Team Discraft. Uh, how long have you been playing for Team Discraft? Uh, I believe this is my going on fourth year, third year, okay, third or fourth year. What was that like so, for you? Yeah. What was that like for you um, when you got the invite? Had you is that something you've been trying for for a while? Um, I mean, it was. I I switched the same year as Macbeth did. Um, I was with Innova three years prior. Uh, it definitely wasn't an easy switch because um, at the time I didn't realize Discraft was you know blow up and become what it is today. So I'm thankful I made the switch when I did, and I'm thankful to, you know be on the team as of now. So it's been great. Yeah, cool. We're excited to have you on as a, we're going to call you a co-host tonight. We're not going to grill you with questions, um, but we are excited to have you on here and get your input as a touring player. Um, but in other news, real quick, let's get right to it. <laughs> we have an addition to Team Discraft, and his name is not Matt Graham. It's Nicholas Carl. Nick, what do you what do you got to share with the world? A few things. A few okay. He's holding up. What are you holding up there? Just so this is actually a sweatshirt that I was giving given a while back, and it was always kind of a motivator for a team that I've been wanting to play on forever. And years ago I was fortunate enough to get onto the underground team. And then to my amazing surprise today, Paul, Bob Julio. Jeff and Adam and Hannah all surprised me actually with a proto Luna that says team Discraft on it. And they did this nice little surprise and it was a very, very eventful moment. And I was super, super thankful for everything that Discraft has done. And so I am officially not on the underground team anymore, but I'm on the tour team for team Discraft and I'm very, very excited. You've made it above ground. What's it like up there? Yeah. What's it like up there above ground? It's uh, it's pretty, pretty sweet. I mean, uh, it's definitely been an eventful day to say the least. And so this was a big moment. Um, and it's definitely been something that I've been pushing for the last few years, especially in the last eight months. I put a lot of different things on life on hold so that I could pursue trying to become the best player that I could. And I've obviously had some pretty decent success this year. And then um, it's pretty sweet to kind of see it all pay off where Bob Julio, Paul Uliberry, and Paul Macbeth all kind of saw the strides that I've made in my disc golf game and to where Discraft is actually willing to take a chance on me and put me up on that next level. So it's, it's a very, very great moment in my career. Okay. Time. Yeah. It's about time. So Adam, from your perspective, because you've gone through this journey and you've been on, when you were with Innova, you were on what team were you with Innova? Do you remember? <laughs> I was on the crew team for three years. Okay. And now you're on team Discraft. 
what does Nick have to look forward to? Like, what's his, I mean, everybody's journey is different, but like, what is, is he going to get disc signature disc? I mean, like literally, I don't know. Like, what does it look like for you as a player? Uh, for Nick is he can, you know, uh, start growing his brand, you know, like Nick Carl, like start making a name around, you know, Nick, the name Nick Carl. And, uh, you know, it can be logos, you know, now he can have fundraiser discs. There's all kinds of, you know, open doors and opportunities for him now. And, you know, we're here, the team's here to support you. It's a family. It's awesome. So a lot of cool things in store for you. I'm very excited to eventually, uh, I don't know when it will happen, but definitely sometime in the near future, um, to put a stamp of mine on a disc and be able to put that out into the world. I'm uh, super excited for that. I've obviously, I've thrown a lot of my friends' discs, Adam's discs, Paul's discs, and a lot of the other elite team members and other tour team members. And so to finally actually be able to put my name on something is something that a lot of people dream of in the sport of disc golf. And I'm, I, I can't wait. I'm it's, gonna need a Nick Carl buzz in my yeah, bag. Yeah, I'm really hoping sure. to get some Nick Carl buzz. I'm gonna need a Nick Carl disc in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, the chat's going wild for you. Congrats on that, Nick. But also, and this is like, it maybe it pales in comparison, but we have one other announcement. (laughs) Nicholas Carl. Last week, the PDGA rating update had 30, 30 players that were 999 rated. 30. And the rating update happened we checked out the stats. Thanks to Stat Mando. We're going to get to a lot more Stat Mando stuff uh, around the corner here. But they checked it out and they found out that only 13 players moved up to at least 1,000 or higher out of those 30. So we've added 13 players to the 1,000 rated club. And only one of them, only one of them hit the nail on the head with the one. Zero, 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 one thousand. I feel like that's kind of the price is right. Do you get a bonus spin for that? I don't know. I was thinking about coming out with some thousand rated get freakies, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh boy. Um, no, I. Uh, it definitely wasn't. It, it was a little too close. I was actually kind of nervous of it because I had played a small C tier and I actually won it, but it feels weird. I feel weird actually counting it as a win because I averaged below my rating by like. 11 points and so the next weekend i went and played a tournament averaged 11 points above my rating uh, but fortunately a while back i had played a rated league and they all got put in at the same time so all of a sudden i had one more 10 14 rated round go in there you go and that that is actually probably i'm 99 sure that's actually what jumped me up to hit the thousand rated mark and i was gonna be really sad because i wasn't i'm not playing a single event in august and so had I missed it this month, I wouldn't know if I was going to be thousand rated till October because I have a couple events in September. So fortunately I did it. I'm super thankful for it. So now the PDGA system can completely wipe the ratings and I can always say that I was a thousand rated player at one point. So. <laughs> hey, those, uh, those PDGA league rounds can be uh, pretty good for ratings. I watched uh, Devin Owens simply get to 1040 just off of the Vista PDGA league yeah. round in Arizona. <laughs> that's, that's actually incredibly awesome. <laughs> but no, uh, luckily <laughs> I've played so many, I've played so many tournaments this year. Um, I think this is actually the year that I've played the most tournaments and to see the substantial growth in my game when it comes to a lot of different areas has been really fun to really fun to do. And disc golf's really a lot of fun when you feel like you're good at it. And I feel like I'm a pretty decent player. So it's fun going out to events and actually doing well. All I can say is I'm glad 
in the beginning, when we decided to start this podcast, we chose each other, Nick. I'll just say that. We're, we're on to yeah. bigger, big things. Big things. I didn't want to say bigger agree. and better, but big things. We, we, we always talk about this, Matt. But <laughs> in 2013, 2014, when you actually showed me disc golf and we both started getting – you were already serious into it, but when I was serious into it, um, it's kind of funny because if you asked me seven, eight years ago if we were going to be where we're at in our disc golf careers, <laughs> I would have said absolutely not like you <laughs> – we host the podcast and then you also host a show with your brother on the disc golf network. Like you are working directly with the greatest live coverage that we have in the sport and this awesome network. And then we get to meet people and Adam is an elite series winner. He's a national tour winner. He's been on the lead card so many times at these massive events and he's sitting right next to me. And so <laughs> the, op the opportunities that Matt we've been given are pretty incredible and uh, it's awesome. Yeah. If you were to tell me eight years ago that, these things were happening. I, I mean, shoot, Discraft was the first company that I fell in love with. And Nate Doss, don't tell Paul this, but Nate Doss has been one of my favorite players uh, pretty much my whole career. And so to finally be on the level of being able to put Team Discraft on my back, as, uh, it's sweet. It definitely, it's it's a pretty fun thing. It's definitely I, a sweet thing. I got Adam, who's a really good buddy of mine now. And, you know, he's one level <laughs> above me. And I get to look forward to one day trying to get up to the elite team. So it's sweet. I was just going to say, you. T I, we should have gotten Nate Doss on to say, you know, congrats, buddy. I can hear him, right? But then I'm like, okay, we, we settled for Adam. That's fine. Dude, I feel like we'd have to pay Nate Doss like a thousand bucks to get like 10 seconds of him being on the show. <laughs> like he, to me, he's just like, he's that guy. The man. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick before we transition, you were mentioning league rounds, Adam, and I think I just saw, well, I guess it technically, it's not a league round. Avery Jenkins was up here. Uh, he played a borderland flex league, Nick, uh, I think this weekend and he shot like a thousand fifty eight rated flex league. So that's good for his rating. I'm sure. Holy cow. Did he really? I didn't realize he shot that well. I uh, was actually going through the live scoring when they were playing. And I didn't get to see the end of it. Actually, I totally forgot about it. But damn, that's awesome. Good I think it him. was a course record. So Ooh. well, um, if there's going to be someone to do it, it's going to be a former world champion. I mean, the guy's <laughs> really freaking good at this goal. Oh, man, I can already tell the show's going to be good. I love already the little inputs that Adam's giving to us. It's it's such a help to our show. Uh, so it's not just Nick and Matt droning on. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah. let's get into it here. Um, I went camping this past week and tell you what, sleeping on an air mattress was not the most awesome thing that you can do. Now, camping is great and sleeping on an air mattress while camping is better than not. But as far as like the aches and pains in my joints after like setting up a tent and honestly like using a hatchet to like chop up wood i was feeling it in my joints and the tendonitis in my um my right wrist was flaring up but <laughs> but nick we have a very cool sponsor in uh hemp field botanicals cbd product they offer all different things for you to recover they want you to feel good and play better. Hempfield Botanicals. Um, I use this salve. Let's see. I always try to get it to focus. There it is. And the salve, I'm, there's no, no joke. It feels awesome when I put it on. Like the pain in my wrist, I've already used it twice today and feels way better. Um, mm -hmm. I think this product is something that every disc golfer should get. You don't have to use the salve. 
You can go with this um, muscle recovery. It's more general in the sense of like your basic aches and pains. But I, this is coming from someone, Nick, who never used a CBD product until we were contacted about, hey, we have an opportunity to um, sponsor the show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's not something I use. But I'll tell you what, <laughs> I have bought in. And, and I'm a fan. Uh, everyone should check out hempfieldbotanicals.com. 20% off when you use the code Nick and Matt. Nick, have you been able to use this anymore since uh, our last episode? Well, I have kind of a funny story about that. I actually went out to Fredericksburg, Virginia this last week to do a real estate class. It was uh, 40 hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And almost every single day, I'd go out and play a disc golf course after sitting for eight hours a day. And unfortunately, I actually totally forgot to bring my new CBD products and I could definitely notice it, especially in my back um, after sitting down all day and then sitting in my car 20 minutes to try to get to the course and then just pretty much going out there and throwing that I do miss the CD CBD products that I've been using in the last few weeks. And so I'm actually going to get to a point soon where I myself am going to have to put in an order. Um, I really like this stuff and it's funny, but it smells good. And I love the chapstick. That's actually probably been my favorite thing lately. And I was never a chapstick person really growing up. But now that I've been using it pretty consistently, I feel weird when it's not in my car or with me. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I'm saying. So, it's it's actually, yeah. anyways, 20% off is a big deal. Go over to hempfieldbotanicals.com, use code Nick and Matt, and you will not be disappointed. I guarantee it. Um, if you're questioning to use it or not, uh, it's totally, I've been assured multiple times in writing you're not getting THC out of this through these rubs and these salves unless the product says that. So feel free, feel mm -hmm. comfortable. I'm a safety professional and my job is on the line if that's the case. So <laughs> I'm not really rolling the dice here. I feel like it's too big. I've got a family. It, it's a good product. That's my point. It's a good product. Uh, feel, feel good using this. Play better. All right. So, mm -hmm. all right, um, Nick, let's get right into the stats of what has yeah. happened here at Idlewild. Now, right before we jump well, into I've... full discussion, Adam, you came out of the gates a little soft, but then you turned it on later on. You finished, what place did you finish at? And how'd you feel about your tournament there at Idlewild? Uh, you know, for me, finishing outside the top 10 is like not as good as a weekend as, you know, I would like top 10 is what I strive for each week. Uh, my first round was, you know, a struggle. Um, just throwing the disc kind of sideways, not really committing to my lines, going OB, missing some putts. Uh, and then I just, you know, came in the second round, like no nerves, no nothing. I'm sitting, you know, back in 60th something place and busts out a seven under and then finished uh, the tournament with an eight under. Um, I'm happy. I got tied for 15th. Uh, definitely not what I was looking for, but with how I started, I'm happy with the finish. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned actually playing disc golf in the last few years is, uh, and this is nothing obviously against what you were just saying, but you can't win a tournament on the first round, but you can definitely lose a tournament on the first round. And so I think even, you know, fortunately for a player of Adam's caliber, he's able to not have the start that he wants to at a tournament, but he's able to kind of like lose those nerves now. And then round two and three, potentially four, depending on the event, he's able to go out there. And not in a carefree mindset, but in a in kind of like a I have nothing to lose mindset. And so it is really cool to be able to see mm -hmm. players kind of bounce back from that first round and end up making a push to put them in a decent position. And obviously, oh, I said my bad word. Um, <laughs> so uh, I've, I've, I've said, said my bad word. Place. 
All right. Yeah. And fifteenth uh, place, though, definitely not something to be ashamed of, especially out on the pro tour, playing against the best players in the world. But it's good that you have the standards of you want to get top ten every single time. Yeah. And for me, when I start a tournament, you know, week, and you know, I necessarily don't have a chance to win the tournament anymore. Obviously, I'm a little bit bummed, and you know, I'm not having a chance to win. You know, sucks. But I'll take the positive out of it, and you know, come into the second round and you know, try to throw some, you know, different lines and different shots that I necessarily wouldn't, you know, throw uh, when I am, you know, playing my best, you know, just try some, you know, shots that make me feel uncomfortable when I'm under pressure and stuff like that, just so I can, you know, practice those in, you know, spots and positions where, you know, it doesn't really hurt me, you know, if I'm not going to win the tournament, for me, it's, it, it's not really the end of the world. Um, I just want to go out there, you know, have fun and, you know, I can learn some new shots that uh, I necessarily might not throw, you know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a long time before I feel like I should be placing top 10 at an elite series. Uh, maybe never. <laughs> uh, speaking of highest ratings, I say it every week. I'm at my highest still, but I, I actually dropped three with the last Nick. You went up one, I went down three. So it's all right. Mm, I mean, it's tough. Hey, I, yeah, not every single update is going to be a positive <laughs> update. And I think that's kind of the beauty of disc golf is... We won't talk not, about your next update. We won't talk about your next one. I, I mean, maybe it's going up. <laughs> I mean, it depends. If I go up to like 10.50 next update, then you sure as hell know we're talking about Any it. Any more league but, rounds. You're going to <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple <laughs> more league rounds happening. But uh, now, for the most part, as, as long as I don't go down, my goal is obviously to maintain an above 1,000 average. My goal is always to push to be the best player that I can be. And if I can do that, then my rating is going to consistently go up, which is what I am striving for. So... But anyways, I think, Matt, before we get into the full-on Idlewild talk, I do want to congratulate the winners of the Ledgestone Insurance Open, which, kind of weird, we had two winners on the MPO side, and then, correct me if I'm wrong, but Paige ended up winning on the FBO side, correct? (laughs) Okay, so Paige winning on the FBO side. It's weird, dude. Dude, when we don't have a show... I, like, lose knowledge. And time flies. In fact, people are right now checking... People are checking their podcast, Apple Play, or whatever they're doing right now, right? And they're like, yeah. what week was this? They're, they're trying to feel, yeah, this, know, is, right? this is episode 55. Yes, you did not miss a show. Nick and I are just going to do a quick, quick recap here. So let's just okay, what happened. So, the quick recap, weather came sorry. in. <laughs> yeah, weather came in, ruined the last round for the MPO side, but I'm sorry, but Paige annihilated it at Ledgestone. She actually won by 11 strokes, so kudos on Paige for kicking butt at that tournament. And then um, Calvin and Ricky both tying the last round because the last round for the MPOs did not count. Uh, Kyle Klein was making a massive push, started out for five for five that last round and actually had the solo lead when they ended up calling the tournament. But I don't really care. I don't really care because solo lead. What does that even mean? He was a couple holes ahead. Like he had more holes to play where he could score. So like it, it was obviously <laughs> a talking point. I'm not saying it's not a talking point. And it's a bummer. In yeah, fact, I, I totally agree. and Adam, how far were you through the event when it got canceled? I had a 40-footer on the last hole for birdie when the horn was blown. I didn't even get to throw my last part of the tournament. <laughs> oh. So, Which is fine because I actually went down in spots, so the, having the round canceled actually made me a couple extra hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, interesting. That was right yeah, yeah tell, that's... Tell us really quick. You you played Northwoods Black, yep. which is from what I've been reading and what I've been hearing is potentially the hardest course in the world. Um, yeah, uh, Northwoods Black is unbelievable. I'm pretty sure Nate Heinold is 
lost his mind at this point. Um, no, the, I, I think the front nine on that course is probably the best front, uh, the best nine wooded holes in disc golf, you know, back to back to back to back all, all the way to nine. Um, and then you hit the back nine. And if you uh, didn't shoot good on the front nine, you're fatigued and you're a little upset, your back nine isn't going to go any better. Um, course is extremely hard. You get off the ferry at all, you're pitching out. Um, I mean, everyone that watched Joe Mez and all the coverage mm -hmm. got to see firsthand what we had to deal with. It was brutal. Um, even par is, is an unbelievable score out there. Um, I was six over for two rounds and, uh, my one over felt pretty good. You know, yeah. I still had a triple in there and a, and a, a couple single bogeys, mm -hmm. but that's going to happen to everyone. I don't think we saw a clean scorecard out there. Everyone had at least one bogey. Mm -hmm. So yeah, which is absolutely um, wild. Yeah. But a uh, huge shout out to, you know, Nate Heinold, you know, he took over, you know, uh, D glow as well this year and to have his expertise and, you know, his, you know, willing to professionalize and push you know the quality of a disc golf tournament is unbelievable um i think he's the best td we have in disc golf uh, at the moment and what he's doing for the sport is is phenomenal and mm -hmm. you know what a guy yeah i was saying that the way he ran d glow i heard that was one of the best running events this year it had a lot of great changes and then same thing with ledgestone to be able to raise over two hundred thousand dollars for five different charities yeah. um and being a major part of the saint jude is pretty incredible. Um, hats off to Nate Heinold, he, and hats off to Discrap for allowing those things to happen and pushing the sport even more forward uh, with everything that they do at these events. But kind of getting away from those ones now, Matt, we had two massive tournaments happen this last weekend. We were talking about Idlewild, so I guess let's get back into that. We had potentially, I would say arguably, the closest tournament that we've had all year. There was someone on the first three cards who could have walked away with the victory at this event. People were making pushes. People were eagling holes that needed to get eagled coming down the stretch. People were parking the island hole in hole 17. I mean, mm -hmm. insane things happened, but it ended up going down into a playoff between Kyle Klein and Andrew Barweed, who we've actually talked about a pretty decent amount this year. Uh, silky smooth forehand. Very good. Can crush a backhand. And seems like a really solid putter. Yeah, his putt's been on, you know, the last two weeks. We saw him finish, what, fourth at Ledgestone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we went into the playoff with Kyle here at Adewild and mm -hmm. made that clutch, you know, circle's edge putt on the first hole to push it to hole two. So, yeah, an elevated basket good. as well with absolute. I mean, the death doesn't really matter. If you miss the putt in the playoff, you're probably losing anyways. But to be able to go in, clutch up that single putt, and then Kyle freaking Klein. That dude is on a mission this last month. We played four pro tour events in a row lately. And Kyle Klein, I'll say this again. I played with him in 2019 at D-Glow. I remember him parking a hole that was massively uphill. I think back then it was hole 11. And I was like, dude, this kid is a freaking baller. How about and this? He, he's 19 years old and he's fifth in the world right now in world yeah. rankings. 19. All right. I don't know why this happens sometimes, but Nick's computer, Nick's computer freezes up a little bit. But what they were saying, you probably heard it. Fifth, fifth in the world. Oh, wow. Are we back? Well, you're back, but fifth in the world, 19 years old. Okay. Pretty epic. Let me let me say a list of names here who were definitely in it to win it. You you gave us you set it all up, and but there's there's a few storylines here that do need to be discussed. Paul Macbeth yeah. being one of them. Paul Macbeth being one of them. He always is, but this is, but there's something really significant here. I feel like, but Paul Macbeth was obviously going into the final. I say, where, why did I just say, obviously 
I just said Paul McBeth's obviously going. Okay, so it's rubbing off on me. Paul McBeth, three-stroke lead going into the final round. Uh, that's pretty good. You don't give Paul McBeth a, a three-stroke advantage going into a final round. You just, I don't think that's a good idea. We're going to talk about that. But Ricky Wysocki also had a chance, technically, to get the win. Kevin Jones, technically. Calvin Heimberg, Joel Freeman, Drew Gibson. By the way, an amazing 12-under final round for Drew Gibson. Uh, Joel Freeman, I skipped over him. Uh, what did he shoot? An 11-down final round? Really mm -hmm. hot round as well. Um, shooting eagles when they needed to. Getting birdies, big putts, the whole everything. Um, and we had, what is that? One, two, three, four. There were six people at 24-under come like the last hole. Mm -hmm. So if Kyle and Andrew par out, you have a six way playoff and just something notable there. I don't know if you heard on disc golf network. I think it was Sunday was the first time in recorded history for the PGA that they had a six person playoff, sudden death playoff ever in the PDGA first time. And we were potentially setting up for that. I was like, what are the chances of this? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of mad that Kyle and Andrew birdied that last hole. Could you could you imagine a six way playoff? Like I'm just thinking about that. How long would it go? That would have been something. How long would a six hole playoff go? Like re realistically, probably a long time. Over nine holes. Realistically, probably it'd probably be over after the front nine. But I th think like what hole it would could it end, end on? on? Hole four. Okay, I was gonna say what hole would it end on? Yeah. Hole four. Well, I mean technically it could end on hole one. It could. If five people four it and one person threes it or one person twos it, we did see Kevin Jones two it one round, didn't we? I mean, I heard from Drew Gibson. If he would have gotten the six-way playoff, he would have been going for hole one. So I, potentially someone would have got the eagle on one and would have ended it there. Out of all the people in the world, Drew Gibson could throw past hole one. I mean, he could probably throw a buzz at hole one. It's disgusting but, what he does. And, but, and, but and to be fair to Kyle. Names, they all can. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say. Calvin Heinberg, Kevin Jones, Kyle Klein, Andrew, like all these players, a six-way playoff would have been incredibly insane. And to Andrew and Kyle, thank you for ruining that. We could have had this massive thing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Congrats to Kyle and Andrew. That, that was sick. But um, um, it would have been way cool for a six-way <laughs> six playoff. It would have been pretty sick. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair to Kyle, I think he went for it on his playoff and he got it far enough down. It was just a little out of position where he had to lay up. Um, Must but, be nice to throw far. Adam, will you teach me how to throw far this week? That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I saw you. Didn't you put it in circle one during yeah, your practice? Yeah, I, I posted a reel on my Instagram. I yeah. threw it in a circle one with a nuke. Uh, I didn't really tell everyone about the, the 20 mile an hour tailwind, but <laughs> <laughs> we can edit that out. Don't worry. Our Nick, live viewers heard you. I say still that, think but. I could get it there with, with, with calm wind, but Nick, the tailwind definitely helps. Yeah. Huh? Remind, remind everybody what Yuli told to you on smugs. I think hole 18 about how to throw far. <laughs> oh no, it was uh, dude, we were at D globe last year and uh, I asked Yuli to give me a quick lesson on like how to throw far. <laughs> uh, and, and so, well, no, 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 I was just asking for like a quick tip of like, dude, why the hell am I throwing? Like not very far at all. Cause I, I probably have the bottom percentage of throwers, especially when I go out to a pro tour event. It's actually kind of sad. And, uh, Yuli was like, okay, throw this disc at this tree as hard as you can. So I threw it and he was like, not nah, dude, like throw it as hard as you can. And I was like, that was, and he was like, show me again, do it again. <laughs> I did it again. And he was like, bro, you are so slow. And I was just like, oh, this is embarrassing. And uh, so anyways, Yuli, I'm sorry to say, but I've not gained any more distance. I've gained accuracy, which is really good. That obviously helps out, especially in wooded golf. But uh, my distance is 
is is lacking. So you throw in the nuke. Uh, sometimes back. I use it for forehands. For forehands, it's an amazing disc. Back I'm, I'm gonna get you some good nukes. Yeah, we'll you'll, we'll you'll, figure. You'll get some for that. Got a decent stash. Shots going. Yeah, well, we'll there you go. But Team Discraft in the go. house. Yeah, I'm gonna I have... show. Uh, I'm gonna show Adam tomorrow New London, which I'm super excited for. The yeah. course is insane, and he'll finally be able to check it out. He'll actually get some early practice for Battle for Bedford that he's playing in in the middle of September, which is a massive tournament in and of itself. Yeah. Everyone will excited be, to see uh, yeah. Paul's design. I've heard great things. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen some pictures. Looking forward to it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, I have some 167 first run ESP nukes, Nick. I can bomb those. So. Yeah. I, so, so what's funny is actually my first ace with, was with a 167 pink nuke, <laughs> and I threw it on a 300-foot hyzer. And uh, – that was back when I had to throw nukes for 300 feet. <laughs> <laughs> so it ended up somehow catching. And uh, shout out to my partner, Derek Rosowskis. He was uh, there for my first ace. And Matt, you actually saw it go in or heard it. You were in the cart in front of me. You were walking down to hole four when I threw it in. And I remember that was like a Christmas feeling. It's I actually didn't think mm. a lot of things would top that feeling. But uh, what happened with today with the whole Team Discraft thing, that was like – it was a very – real moment so that was pretty sweet but yeah all right i love nukes they're awesome that's all the free advertisement for discraft we're giving you got to take the shirts off no we're not that kind of show either (laughs) (laughs) um so let's talk about it there's still a few storylines we haven't even gotten to fpo yet and we still haven't talked Mm -hmm. european open championships which is a whole nother topic it there's a lot of event recap um and we have new segments to run tonight stat or fiction that came up from our last show that we did so here's here's one of them like as far as like talking points go here, Paul Macbeth, three stroke lead. He shoots a two down. Now, before I diss that too much, Adam, that's what you shot the first round, right? That is exactly what I shot. <laughs> so generally, because I, I feel like I looked at your your um round. What it, it was from the perspective of an amateur. I'm like, that's a really good round. So, I mean, but to your standard, did it feel boring, frustrating? What was a minus two? What does that feel like to you? Uh, it's definitely frustrating. It was one of those rounds where as soon as I got a birdie and I, you know, got on a high and felt good, the next hole would be a bogey, you know. Uh, it's just super up and down. It was a roller coaster. My scorecard was pretty colorful on new disc. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It just wasn't mentally, you know, there that round. Uh, I was kind of fatigued. It's been a long little grind on the tour lately, so... First round of Idlewild was just wasn't wasn't happening for me. Disc was coming out a little sideways and stuff. So, yeah. And I just looked. Um, Paul Macbeth had four birdies. And let me just look real quick at what you had, if you remember uh, the first. I had I had six birdies, four bogeys. <laughs> okay. So Paul, this is I was trying to set it up here because that's like a totally different way to do it. Like you were still getting birdies, but you were just getting the bogeys in there. Yeah. Paul, four bogeys in Idlewild is is not good. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, what I'm looking at here is Paul went par all the way through hole six, which I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, hole one is a pretty easy birdie. Yeah, yeah, easiest birdie on the course. You should be getting it right. Um, hole three is definitely not mm-hmm. a gimme, but it's downhill. You definitely have a good chance to get a birdie there. Um. I'm not going to go through every single one here. My point is he got par all the way through hole six. And then his first non-par was a bogey. So he's starting out his first seven plus one 
follows it through with a birdie on hole eight. Okay, so he's back to even hole nine bogey. So front nine, he is plus one. Now, to put that in perspective, what did he shoot? 10 over the first round? I mean, 10 under the first round? Um, nine. nine. He shot nine. He was one stroke he went, back after the first nine round. nine and 11. To get nine and 11. Okay. Yeah. yeah, nine and 11. And then he goes two under. So it, I'm just looking for speculation or inside scoops. I haven't talked to him. Maybe you have. I don't know. I'm not even looking for you to dish. Did he come out thinking too soft about like how he had to perform because he has a three-stroke lead? He goes, hey, I just need to shoot five or six down and I'll be fine. Or do you think his game was off? What, what, what do you think? Uh, I, I talked to him today. I said, Paul, what happened yesterday? And uh, he said the sidearm, uh, the wheels completely fell off with the sidearm. Um, he was telling me about a couple shots specifically. And, uh, you know, those. I think, um, you know, hole seven is first bogey. And then missing that gap with a sidearm. I think, uh, what is it, hole, the one before the Y gap, hole 12? Hole 12, I think he said he yanked, you know, his his forehand to the left side trees, which is a pretty bad miss. Uh, he just said it was all over the place. He just, Wherever he wanted to throw the disc, it wasn't going. It's was just a really off day. He said it was pretty odd. Um, I don't think he had any, like, expectations coming into the round. You know, obviously, he thought he was going to win because Paul McBeth, the three-stroke lead, everyone thinks he's going to win. Um, he just, I don't know. He didn't really say too much. He just said he was off and... That's about it. I was um I was pretty disappointed in Paul, and I'll tell you why, Matt. Yesterday was my birthday. <laughs> I turned 27 years old, and there was one gift that I wanted, and it was to see my best friend win an Elite Series event, <laughs> and he failed. And he choked. I'm just kidding. I, I obviously I love Paul, and uh, so I actually didn't get to watch it too much. I was out celebrating my birthday, and you know, got food and everything like that, and uh. But briefly, when I asked him today, I actually didn't talk to him really about it at all. There were so many things going on today that we didn't really get too much into the conversation of it. But for the most part, he just said pretty much exactly what Adam said is that his sidearms fell off. And the, it was funny because the actual the couple holes that I did watch him throw, I uh, watched him throw his upshot on hole one. I watched him throw his forehand on hole four. No, excuse me, hole five, which he threw a little bit too high and too straight. And then on hole nine, is that the little shorty that Chris Dickerson aced? Uh, yes. Okay, I watched him turn over his zone on that one as well. So yeah, pulling that one to the left isn't is the bad mess. Yeah, and then to go long in his upshot and miss the putt, and after that, I was like, I, I got to turn it off. The curse still isn't broken. Whenever I watch Paul, he does bad, so I apologize. I'm probably the main reason that Paul <laughs> lost this tournament. So I'm sorry, everybody who's a Paul Macbeth fan. Just so you know, I will not be watching any more tournaments on DGN with Paul because I'll actually be playing the next two of them with him. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, Paul, sorry. Sorry if he doesn't win Discraft. Please don't kick me off the team. Paul also mentioned that he, uh, he yanked his drive on 16, which is the par five that's very eagleable. A lot of guys are eagle coming down the stretch. He, uh, he said he yanked his drive about 40 feet, like, in the wrong direction, like, off the tee. Just pulled it really bad right, was OB by a couple inches, had to take it mm. way back. Saved a great par from the sounds of it. So even he the did. backhand was a little squirrely for, for the Macbeth yesterday. Yeah. He did. I mean, it's if he if he went and I was playing out because I was watching it live. If he went mm -hmm. eagle there on hole 16 and then birdie birdie, I put him in the playoff. I think I'd have to rework it out in my head. But it was something along those lines where I was at that moment. I'm like, this is what he would have yes. to do to have the chance. Sounds right. And he went yeah. OB on 16. And you're like, really, man? Ah. But you're not wrong. Because the forehand was a big deal. So 
enough breaking down. Like he said, it was his throws were off and they looked off. His putting is a little bit different. And Disc Golf Network, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. You're getting your money's worth with this. Now they're even pulling stuff in like, hey, let's go to last week's tournament. Here's what Paul's putting style looked like. And they run side by sides with like graphics and everything to show you like here at this tournament, here's what it looks wow. like. Yeah, exactly. Starting to like really That's step sick. up. And yeah. so now that's a whole talking point. Why did he change his putting style? Do you know anything about that? Or like, no. No, I actually, so I've noticed in years past and in tournaments past that when you kind of ask someone about their putting style, it's it's almost kind of rude because you say, hey, what are you doing with your putt now? And then they overthink it potentially. And not saying Paul does that, but I have noticed even players at lower levels and at regular like local C tiers, B tiers, A tiers and stuff like that, that people will come up to them and say like, oh, hey, your putting style looks a little different. Like, what are you doing? And it actually sometimes messes with people. And so I try to make it a habit not to, uh, especially before Elite Series events and everything like that, kind of make it a thing not to ask people what's going on with their game or like, hey, you've been changing some things up. I like noticing from, let's say, 2021, Paul's putting style right now. I love noticing when in the off season, a lot of players actually do change small things. Like, I changed mine. Yeah, exactly. Adam and Ricky actually did this as well. Uh, Adam used to more so putt with both hands on the disc until the last second. And then lately he's gone to more of a one-handed putting style. And so Nick, yeah, I, oh, hold on, hold I on real, real quick. Nick, what, what, tell us about your putt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, uh, uh, no, Adam, I have, a, I have a janky putt, but somehow it goes in. <laughs> Don't talk about it. It's going to mess you up. Adam, what were you going to say? I also wouldn't say it's like terribly uncommon to see, you know, top pros, you know, necessarily like have little tweaks in their putting form from week to week to week. Um, I've seen a lot of guys, you know, just of a little, little hitches here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say when you're, when you're, when you're practice putting, you know, if something starts to click that is a little bit different than last week and it's working, stick with it. When you're in a tournament, you got to go with what works, you know, the most recent, obviously. So mm-hmm. For me, like my putt changes from time to time to time, you know, um, I think every year my putt gets a little bit different. Um, it's just, you know, change it up. You know, if you're trying to putt the same and you're getting frustrated and you're missing, um, change it up, try to find something that works a little bit different, you know, change a little change of pace, change the, you know, the mental side of it. And yeah, I don't know. I gotta say, if there's someone to listen to about putting, <laughs> it's Adam Hammes. If you watch actually last year's, um, Hall of Fame Classic, was it last year or two years 2019. ago? 2019. 2019. Two years ago, the Hall of Fame Classic. You can watch the circle two putts that he hit. And then actually, Adam posted a video a few months ago. I think you were out in Arizona at the time mm-hmm. where you're giving tips on putting. And one of the things you said is to consistently get good at your 20-footers. Yeah. And actually, I've been teaching lessons lately. And that's actually one of the biggest things that I reiterate to the people doing the lesson is when you're working on your 20-footers, it's very easy to go from 20 feet to 25 feet because you can realistically do it with the same amount of power putting wise. You just aim a little bit higher. Exactly. And I've noticed this off season. And then actually during the season, I have spent an insane amount of time working on my 20 footers that there have been a couple tournaments this year where I felt like I could make anything very easily 35 feet in all because of working on that 20 foot putt and just gaining the consistency Mm -hmm. and the muscle memory. Mostly is just going over and over and over and doing the same thing. Yeah. So the whole 20, the whole 20 foot marking for putting from the reason I like to teach that and say that is uh, 20 feet is like the most important, you know, putt. If you can't make it from 20 feet, 
you're not going to make them 30 feet. You're not mm-hmm. going to make them 40 feet. And I think a lot of people go out to practice putt and they're trying to make, you know, a bunch of C2 putts because they think making every C2 putt is what it takes to be you know, a great putter. And then they forget what a 20 footer feels like. And then they start missing 20 footers in a tournament. Yeah. So the a 20 footer is also really, really easy to like see your miss. If you're missing to the right, you're going to know right away. Your arm must be going to the right. It has to. Mm-hmm. So uh, 20 feet is like a super good thing to just work on. If when my putt isn't feeling on and I feel like I can't, you know, consistently make a circles edge putt, I'm literally going to go to 20 feet and I'm only going to putt from 20 feet and I will not even move back until I feel like I can't miss from 20 feet. Mm-hmm. Then I move back. Then it's the same motion, little stronger. Then you move back and it's a progress until you, you know, eventually get back into like middle circle two and you know you can start making you know 50 percent of them so yeah exactly even today we were at the uh, training facility for a little bit and just joking around playing some basketball and taking some putts and it's just crazy you warm up with a couple 20 footers and then jeff adam and i are putting from 40 feet and just going back and forth on who's hitting it so i mean it's definitely working on your putting builds such a huge confidence in the sport of disc golf to where it's one of the hardest things to become good at but at the same time it's one of the easiest things to practice because mm-hmm. if you have a basket at your house, you don't have to drive out to a field. You don't have to walk back and forth, you know, 300 feet, picking up the discs that you just threw on a forehand or a backhand. Putting from 20 feet is going to insanely increase your confidence in putting. And like Adam said, it's very easy to notice your miss when you're putting from 20 feet. And I think what separates good putters from bad putters is being able to figure out what you did wrong. And uh, something as little as you're moving your arm to the right, your timing, your legs coming up a little bit too quick. Uh, just definitely things easily workable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and I'm just going to piggyback off of as a non pro putting is so much mental that I think I'm taking away what Adam's saying and what we're watching, you know, Paul and other people do changing it up that it's so mental that changing and doing little tweaks, isn't going to be that drastic as far as maybe helping your mental game. So mm-hmm. I think that's, it, that's tremendous insight there. So it, it's all mental. Exactly. So yeah. that if, you know, Paul has a little tweak in his putt and it looks different from last week. It's more than likely a mental thing. It's not a, oh, Paul's off kind of thing. So yeah. right. I definitely notice it. I didn't get to watch all the live coverage throughout the week, but I did notice it in the second round. Paul was taking a jump putt and I thought a tree was in his way, which is kind of why he was shortening his mm-hmm. uh, wind up, wind up motion that he normally would do. And then he made a great uh, circle two putt on hole 16 in the second round to save his birdie. And he did the same kind of putting motion. So I was like, okay, that means Paul that week like Adam's saying, figured out something during his practice putting or his practice rounds that, you know what, this feels a little bit comfortable right now. I'm going to go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't think putting was the biggest issue. Paul's last round, I think he would say it, it as was well. His as drives. Like just drive. Yeah, just driving off the tee. I can yeah. tell um, you his putting on the stats here, he was a little less than average on putting. He was. He lost mm-hmm. strokes to the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that, also, that, that also comes from not throwing well off the tee pad and not putting yourself in positions that you would normally put yourself in and struggling to, you know, make those long shots Mm -hmm. like on hole nine to where you have a longer upshot than you normally should. And now you're putting from par from 30 feet rather than putting from 30 uh, for birdie. That's fine. But just, just to put it out there, 80, 81% 65th place for circle one X putting and 13% 92nd place for circle two. Um, he did lose strokes on the field putting, but as you said, mm-hmm. and he said, his drives were off and they looked off. But I think just, I, I want one word out of you, uh, Adam, and out of Nick, if you want to give it, and then I'll give one. Do you think it was a choke or do you think it was just, and people are going to laugh at me, bad execution, like, as in like, he just, it just wasn't there. Like, there's a difference between choking and not. So just really quick, 
really quick before Adam answers that. Uh, apparently we're in the middle of a storm. We just heard massive thunder and lightning. So for some odd reason, our power kicks out. It actually has been the last few days. <laughs> obviously, oh, that was, that was a pretty good rumble there. Yeah, obviously when uh, and it's close too. Um, anyways, <laughs> so do I think it's a choke? Do you or... think it was a choke or uh, how did I say it? Um, just lack That's of execution. Question. Lack of execution. Like, it, what, and I'm well, not asking for a debate you here. Said I can only use one. Yeah, so just. I guess, so do you feel like it was lack, lack of execution or a choke? <laughs> I'm going to go with more of a lack of execution. Yeah, I would say if he would have had, you know, a three-stroke lead with, you know, four or five to play and lost it, that would have been a choke. Mm -hmm. But, you know, starting as slow as he did and then just not having it on the back nine and just not even having a chance to win coming yeah. down the stretch, I don't necessarily call it a choke. Just not I, a good day on the course for Paul. And just, Yeah. Yeah. I No, I completely agree with that. I think we hold Paul, Ricky, and Eagle to this massive standard <laughs> compared to anyone else in the – We do. Uh, anyone else on the Pro Tour to where – we see Paul have a three short lead and we're like, okay, holy cow. This is, you know, prime Paul McBeth. All right. I don't know. They're, they're cutting out. They are having an, uh, a storm issue, but I'm going to continue on until they come back in or they Whoa. don't come back in. <laughs> they're they're going to be back in a minute. I do want to say Eagle McMahon, they were talking about holding to a different standard. You guys are back. Yeah. Are but I wanted to jump real quick because I heard we okay, kind cool. of heard what you were saying about Paul McBeth. We hold him to the higher standard, Eagle, et cetera. Eagle went out and said like, hey, and this is true. Eagle even said like, hey, I feel like I played pretty poor. But the good news is for as poor as I felt like I played, 12th isn't that bad. So like yeah. that's it's another it's an off week for him. He was a returning champion mm -hmm. um, out of this list because we got to move on. We've talked for a long time about this MPO, which is good stuff. We talked a lot of good stuff. But Matt, out of this list, are you saying that. Are you saying that we've been talking for a long time? We have been. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> out of this list, Ricky Wysocki, Kevin Jones, Calvin Heimberg. So I'm giving you the top, uh, the tied for third and better. Joel Freeman, Drew Gibson, Andrew Marweed, Kyle Klein. Who was the biggest, I'll say surprise finish. As in like, not that they couldn't do it any given week, I guess. Like out of the top three here, who is your like, wow, they performed way better. They were the most improved, if you will. Uh, Drew Gibson. I'll, yeah, it, I was literally just about the same thing. Uh, Idlewild is thing. almost completely sidearm dominant. Um, and Drew Gibson doesn't even have a sidearm. He has one, but he's not throwing, you know, the smooth Heiser flip, you know, Jeremy Colling sidearms through the woods. Uh, for him to, you know, have a almost win the tournament, you know, be tied for third with Joel, Calvin, and Kevin. Um, it's pretty unbelievable. That means he's throwing the mid-range turnover like a genius. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I I completely agree with that. Drew I Gibson think Idwell is definitely. Yeah, and it's it's not to say that him. we didn't think he could do it because uh, Drew actually said it last week when he was at Ledgestone. He had that insanely massive throw-in, which was really cool. But he did say it. He's like, I have something to prove on these wooded courses because a lot of players, or excuse me, a lot of fans and a lot of people only see him as this dominant backhand power player. Mm -hmm put him on a wide open course and he does great. But we did notice at Ledgestone, he was playing incredibly well in the woods. I can say I did play a couple practice rounds with Drew at Ledgestone and Idlewild. And um, yeah. right now I think he's unquestionably the number one backhand thrower in the world right now. It's, it's just it's some of the lines he throws with a buzz and a mid range yeah. that I saw in the last few weeks are unbelievable. It's it's really and impressive. And I'm going to go on PDJ right now, but I'm really hoping that we're going to see Drew on a lot of these East coast swings because Watching him play these events. All right, well, he's going to be at MVP and uh, GMC, which yeah. is awesome. Those are two incredible, incredible events. I, I could see him doing really well 
Uh, especially at GMC, actually. I, I mean, I can predict it now. I think a top five finish yeah. for Drew at GMC is definitely in his wheelhouse. Um, he wasn't, he was not a big conversation in this year. And he was interviewed in the press conference at forget what event. Let's go back three or four ago. Where was, where was it? Yeah. That was a big thunder roll there. I heard. Yeah. yeah. Can you guys see it? Dude, we just had like seven flashes of lightning. I um, we probably will lose power. Um, <laughs> and then you can, <laughs> we'll yeah. figure it out after that. But yeah, I think he said, Hey, you know, I, I feel like I can, I can be in top three or win any of these events. Like I feel you guys are underplaying, undervaluing me, all that. So I I'll mm-hmm. buy in on that. Drew Gibson, I think just shoutables, obviously in the top here, Joel Freeman obviously performed better than not that he expected, but then we've seen regularly. And also mm-hmm. Andrew Marweed, where is he coming out of? I mean, he was going to be on yeah. lead card at Ledgestone. It, it, he was, but then it fell through, obviously, with weather. And now here, here's again. Are we going to continue to see him? Is he going to run on that motivation and, you know, being pumped up off that? And Kyle Klein, too. I mean, guys, we have got some incredible disc golfers coming um, down the, the line here. Obviously, shouting out, obviously, in the room here, Adam Hammes, too. Um, top 10 players. There's going to be – how can you say there's going to be more top 10 players? <laughs> they can't. There's only 10 top 10. But, like – I know, right? the battle's going to get harder. All right, Nick, we have to move over to the FPO side. And here's something I want to yeah. do. Moving over to FPO, I don't know if I said it enough. Stat Mando provides us these stats. We're going to give you some really cool stats here um, in just a minute. Some notables on performances and how they played out. Paige Pierce won, um, Nick, by two strokes or three, three. strokes. Three strokes. Mm-hmm. Is that good? A win is a win. So congratulations, Paige. Yeah. We, we think that's great. For the sake of a talk show, is that as good as Paige can play and the other competitors are catching up? Or do you think she wasn't playing to her full potential? What What do you think? I mean, if we're looking at the rating system, which is in place in the PDGA right now, she averaged 5.33 strokes under her rating. And that is what she averages at most events. And so we can actually clearly say that she did play below average. Um, but at the same time, I mean, Idlewilds is a really hard course. I don't know how many, potentially how many different tee pads, if any. Uh, there's definitely some different pads. So a couple different tee pads um, at Idlewilds. I'm not 100% sure exactly which one. All right. There, <laughs> the the weather down there. I'm sure these are lightning strikes that are actually taking out Adam and Nick. Yeah. Let's hope that we don't lose them here. Um, I will say... Paige Pierce definitely underperformed a little bit, not crazy, but a little bit. And so as part of that, Missy Gannon overperformed. So Missy Gannon overperform. I say overperforming, performing beyond expectation. Um, she's, she played 23 points above her, her round rating. Um, so I just moved on guys to say that Paige Pierce underperformed a little bit. <laughs> But Missy Gannon yeah. overperformed, overperformed. about, uh, according to PDGA ratings, about two strokes better mm-hmm. in her, her round. So she was three out, but she overperformed, overperformed. <laughs> she performed really well. Yeah. She, she outplayed expectation. I, and so yeah, it was I, much closer than we would have expected, maybe. Yeah, I definitely. Man, their internet is crazy. I'm going to try to keep it going here. I want to hear their insight. <laughs> And nobody wants to continue just to hear me talk on and on. But Sarah Hokum, a part of this conversation as well, performing a bit above her uh, ratings. Um, and then I wanted to say, 
a little bit here about Katrina Allen. First two rounds happen, and we're like, where's Katrina Allen? Like, what's going on? Is I start going down this road of since Worlds, things have been seemingly inconsistent, inconsistent, like to the point where you start thinking to yourself, what it's got to be mental it's got to be motivation this is ath- athleticism like you have to have a good mental game and the longer rounds go on it, the season goes on you're gonna see ups and downs but it just starts to have this trend where it seems like it could be a talking point but then she comes out and she i don't want to say nails but then she plays a really really good final round so Katrina playing a really good final round um, brings her up into fourth place when you weren't sure if that was going to happen. She was five back, only five back, and that's that's pretty significant. Um, so for anybody that's tuning in or has been tuned in, I have officially lost um, Nick and Adam. So I have no, oh, 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 they're calling in. Hold on. And this is the this is the beauty of a live show. So we're gonna give this a go here. Um, let's see, Nick, you guys are back, but we're on our bad. Yeah, I can see you here, but we're, we'll just jump we're back the- and forth. We'll just jump back and forth. You can leave it on that yeah. if you want to. Let That's me, fine. No, let me let me restart this quick. I want to obviously I want everything <laughs> to be good. So let me call you back in two minutes. Okay, I'm gonna keep talking like I can do. All right. Um, so here are some notables. Thank you to stat Mando, uh, for these. You ready? This one is really, really, really interesting. Kyle Klein, his first pro open cash. Okay. So the first time he cashed in pro open until he won his first elite series win. So this Idlewild, you ready? 644 days. If you punch 644 days divided by 365, you are, and I didn't have to use a calculator, (laughs) but that's 1.75 years. That is less than two years from the time he got his first pro cash until he won his first elite series. That is incredible. So November 10th, 2019, first pro cash. Go all the way till now, he gets his first Elite Series. That is pretty significant. In fact, this win for Kyle at the 2021 Idlewild Open makes him the first MPO player. You ready? First MPO player to win a DGPT event whose first Open cash was accepted after the start of the Disc Golf Pro Tour in 2016. So when the Disc Golf Pro Tour started, Kyle Klein was not cashing he was not winning any pro events um then he starts after the inception of the disc golf pro tour and he gets his first elite series win and so we're seeing a new uh series of players coming up younger players um so that's that's notable stat mando providing those um and then you're ready for this one, and, and we'll jump into this And before we move on a little bit more here, is the number of times Ricky Wysocki and Paul Macbeth, and I'm just going to say this, we've already talked a lot about performance with these two, 
Ricky Wysocki and Paul McBeth both finished outside of top five at the same event. Uh, in two, so here's how it reads. 2,848 days. There was a period of 2,848 days or 114 total events. Okay? Um, where that happened two times where Paul and Ricky placed out of top five. 114 total events from 2013 to 2021. And now in a 21-day span from July 25th until August 15th, it's happened two times in four events. Uh, I think this just says something about the level of players that we have on tour. Do you agree with that? We've seen so many FPO winners. We've seen so many different MPO winners. And this is just another crazy stat that you're talking about, what'd you say, 144 events? And out of two of those, Paul and Ricky didn't... Uh, where am I looking at? Yeah, the they placed stat. outside of top five two times yeah, at 114 events, yeah. Yeah, but then in the last 21 days, you know, the same thing has happened twice now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I think that just talks about the parody that's happened throughout disc golf in 2021 it's it's awesome it's definitely made content creation when it comes to the podcasting of things to talk about easy and it's been really fun to it's it's fun to not know who's going to win an event because so many different players are actually capable of winning events this year and it's also fun to know that like players players can struggle i mean there are a ton of people who enjoyed watching a lot of these pros i actually i didn't take enjoyment out of it but it was cool to see a lot of these players averaging over par we'll go back to northwoods black i mean playing that course and seeing the top pros struggle it just gives you an idea of how freaking hard that course was but then at the same time like these players are human and these players do make mistakes and sometimes some rounds they kind of like get a slap to reality of like look if you're not on you're not on so yeah, yeah. and I'm on tour all the time and, you know, it is a grind. I mean, we're playing 20, 25, you know, elite events a year and to be there mentally sharp for every throw every day, every week, it's pretty tough, mm-hmm. you know, and that says a lot about Macbeth, Ricky Eagle, those guys that can stay at the top, how mentally strong they really are. You know, mm-hmm. uh, even for me, you know, I struggle, you know, this last few weeks I haven't played, you know, good at all. And I think it's just down, comes down to fatigue and, you know, I'm just a little tired, you know? We just had four, you know, Disco Pro Tour Elite events back to back to back. And it really, you know, showed my game and it's it's a grind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I agree. I was going to say, as you said, hey, you know, it's incredibly hard to do. I think that's just a testament to what they have done, as you said. And you're experiencing it now in the prime of your disc golf career. And I'm not saying you have reached your top. I just mean you're in that prime where you're competing Mm -hmm. at the highest level you you can. Um, So. All right, before we move right out of the European Open, I just wanted to give one shout out, and I don't know if it deserves it or not, but Dave Felberg, top 10 finish, an Elite Series event. Good for him. Um, coming out of Pro Master Worlds, winning Pro Master Worlds. Winning. Yep. Yeah. It's um, good to see Dave out there. Yeah, it is. I, I love Dave. We, we've had him on the podcast before, and I remember that episode. I think I liked that episode more than anyone else did because Dave just gave some incredible insight to what it takes to kind of be an up-and-coming disc golfer, what he thinks a pro disc golfer is, and different things that he's doing with, like, the National Amateur Disc Golf Tour and nice. everything like that. Uh, Dave Dave he's really is doing a lot. He's a the sport. He's, yeah, he's – what do they call him? The professor, right? 
I think sure. I, I think they call him that. I, I think. <laughs> we will now. Sure hey, Nick, real quick. I'm pretty sure I've heard that. Nick, yeah. real quick, tap on your microphone for me. Okay, it's working. Just make it, maybe point it towards your mouth. I feel like we got Adam's microphone is sounding real good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll well, split it Adam's that Adam's better at disc golf than me, so he got the better microphone. Ah, uh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> just, I'm Mine's just kidding. Foam, yours is plastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah. um, let's do this, because the European Championships is obviously a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I wish our time zones weren't so crazy, because right now I'd love to be talking to some of them. I know. I know. Um, Believe me, it's we're trying for everyone that's been messaging us about getting on these European players and getting on these Estonian players and everything like that. Believe me, we are trying, but it is a struggle at the moment. But so I every do single wanna, week we're trying to get another player. Yeah, I do want to give them the shout outs, even though I'm going to butcher their names the way that they do when they talk about American names. And it's great. I love it. <laughs> but uh, Nicholas, and I think that's probably how you say it, something along those lines, Nicholas Antila. Uh, from Finland, wins it. Excellent. Um, he shot at least 1,068 rated round, better than his average, um, performed really well. I'm going to give the top three here. Linus Carlson and Jonah Heinonen. <laughs> and then seventh place, Simon Lazat. Simon Lazat was the previous winner in 2018. Yeah. Seventh place finish, 15 strokes back. Simon, we love you. Hope you had a good time over yeah. there. I was rooting hardcore for Simon. It was awesome to see him kind of like come out of the gates. I think he was tied for the lead or maybe a few strokes back of it or something like that. Um, but I'm also really impressed with seeing silver lot. Um, who's a good buddy of mine. He played great. And then also Albert Tom, uh, he ended up playing well towards the end of the event. Um, squeaking in a top 25 finish. Silver uh, Seppo Paiu. We actually haven't talked about Seppo too much this year. Seppo mm-hmm. has actually been, uh, playing out there, but normally he is playing in the U.S., but with everything going on, we obviously haven't been able – I said my word again. We unfortunately have not been able to see Seppo's name too, too much. But, yeah, incredible performance by Nicholas, and hopefully that's how I pronounce his name. I think it's B.A. <laughs> that a dude named Nicholas, you know, Nicholas. Uh, my name's obviously Nicholas, and so <laughs> seeing the Nicholas's strive – in disc golf this year, it's been awesome. <laughs> Just kidding. I think Matt, though, we have an insane storyline to talk about in the FPO division, which I'm Definitely. super excited to talk about. Oh boy! Only because I want to talk about it. I'm going to get kind of amped up for it because we've had so much talk lately. We had the UDisc stat people come on the show Uh-oh. and talk about how they do their ranking system. Reasons being why they had Evelina ranked number one, why Kristen jumped up to two, Paige was three, but then Paige was one and Evelina was two. So many different things happening all at once. And Evelina had a commanding lead going into the fourth and final round. And I remember people were tweeting at me saying, lock <laughs> it up. This is why Evelina is the best in the world. Don't doubt it. Evelina is incredibly good. And it, I'm thinking in my head, I actually tweeted back at someone. I said, she's playing great so far, but we won't know until the final putt. And this is nothing against Evelina, but she blew the lead. And Hannah Bloomrose came out and took the victory with Kristen Tatar getting second place by two strokes behind her. But then Evelina dropping back eight strokes to Hannah to ultimately get third place. And I yeah. think that is just kind of like, holy cow, what happened? I remember because the time zone is so different that Friday or uh, excuse me, the final day, the fourth and final round, I woke up that morning and someone tweeted it. And I was like, yeah, I- someone, someone is lying. So I had to actually go on UDisc. Shout out to UDisc for having these stats. And um, I had to go on there 
find out that Hannah had won the event, Kristen getting second, and Evelina dropping a third. I, I, I honestly was mind blown. I didn't even know what to tweet except, what the hell just happened? Mm. Shout out to Hannah because it's insane. Yeah, I, I looked at the scores, I think, midway through my final run at Idlewild, and I was like, holy crap, what happened? <laughs> um, but yeah. She I made mean, a post because I got a text message. We're all getting text messages. What's going on? And she had a yeah. five stroke lead. Five stroke. This is more. So, what happened in FPO over there? You know, five stroke lead, Macbeth over here, three stroke lead, and just playing mm-hmm. really poor golf. She went on to post on social media about that. That obviously she's very disappointed and she she alluded to like lack of confidence but not being able to do what she knows how to do it's like have you have you ever had that situation where you forget how to putt or you forget how to throw during a round that's how it oh yeah yeah we all are not that's how it literally went down for her 15 stroke wait wait no 13 stroke swing in the last round 13 stroke swing um, it's kind of, I don't know for a player of her caliber, obviously being ranked number one in the world before that event. I, I don't know if we've ever seen that much of a stroke swing going into a final round for I mean, the top I do player remember at one point for top players because... at that level. I do remember the 2019 European open. Uh, Paul had come back from, I think at one point, the final round, seven strokes to Ricky and Eagle. He came back and ended up winning that event. Okay. But I mean, that's different. But here's an interesting one. I was just going to say, and I hate to talk about people's poor performances, but it's just because it's disc golf round. We're not trying to, you know, poo poo on anybody. Paige Shue, lead card, all the way down to 14th place. She moved down 18 or 13 spots, shooting a plus Mm -hmm. 15 in the final round. So these things obviously happen. But Evelina, here's the interesting part, right? We had on UDIS to talk about their ranking system. And it's interesting to see how it plays out. I feel like some people were telling us in our previous shows, Matt, if Kristen beats Evelina, then we know Kristen's the best player in the world because she beat Paige and then world ranking saying Evelina. And then people are saying, well, if Evelina beats Kristen, well, then Evelina is obviously the best because Kristen beat Paige. Well, if that's the, if that's the logic we're going to use, then should we just say that Henna is the best player in the world because Henna beat Evelina and Kristen, and Kristen beat Paige? I, I don't think it's good logic. We. This is why. <laughs> this, yeah. <laughs> this, this is, is why, why people shouldn't comment these things. But um. This is I, why I we need the whole it, FPO scene. We need another World Championships at the very least, and more European tour stops again. Maybe when pandemic, COVID, all that's gone, because we do want to see this, and then I think we could make some serious like actual takes, but with them playing yeah. different events across the ocean and page, I, I, I don't know what to even say about it. There's a lot of good competition going yeah. on in FPL right now. Be, I th- go ahead. It'd be very interesting to see, you know, those four, you know, battled out for a whole season on the pro tour yes. um, yeah. <laughs> and see what, and see what really happens. You know, I think we would have some, yeah. I think those four could really, really elevate, you know, women's disc golf. If uh, they could all, you know, play in the same yeah. tournaments all the time, you know? I 100% agree with that. And I think one of the biggest things right now is that we only got a glimpse of what happened at one tournament. And obviously, oh, I keep saying that word. I'm not allowed to. Seeing <laughs> Evelina play the way she did the final round, that's not something that we're going to see at every single event that Evelina is winning. Evelina was playing incredibly well at that event up until the final round. We saw dominance by Evelina. 
but we also saw consistency by Krista and Henna, and we obviously we have seen consistency by Paige Pierce the last two tournaments, uh, completely kind of destroying everyone at Ledgestone, mm-hmm. and then playing well enough to get the win at Idlewild. <clears throat> so I think, like Adam just said, having these four players play against each other all year would I think definitely elevate the sport, uh, or excuse me, the FBO side of the sport. But right now. Who do we pick as a number one? So, I know that okay, let me, let me has the number one rating. Yep. Let, me, let me set it up for you. Let me set it up for you because that's what I was actually just going to ask your guys' yeah, yeah. opinions. And yeah. someone's saying, you know, this is a good breakthrough event for um, Henna, but I want to point out, actually, this is a repeat win for Henna. She was the returning champion at the European mm-hmm. Open Championship. So for her, this is a repeat win, but I think it's a breakthrough in the sense of we saw, this is why it's a big deal. We saw Kristen beat Paige multiple times in the U.S., and now Henna beat Kristen and Henna beat Evelina, who has been talked about as being the best. So my point yeah. is it is a breakthrough win, but it's a repeat win for her. And now let me set it up. Let me set it up for you, Nick. Yeah, who, go for it. who do you feel like? I'm now just literally asking for like the feels. If you had to say, and Adam was setting it up too, those four players. No, let's put Katrina in the talk too. Let's put whoever you want. I don't care what FPO players you want to put in it. Who do you feel like could, like, would, if you put them out right now, tomorrow, or next week, win if you had those best players, FPO players? I have a feeling about it, and I'm just curious. Yeah, it's it's such a sideways question because we've only seen Henna and Eveline really at, Evelina really at this event. And so what do you feel? I though? want to say we're, to, well, we're talking about the breakout performance. Yeah. We're talking about the breakout performance. And I will say this was a breakout performance for henna because Evelina has beaten henna at, I think every single event that they've played together so far this year could be wrong, but I, a majority of the time Evelina's won. So for henna to go out and consistently play well the whole weekend, I think that is a breakout performance. And I think we will kind of see that happen more often this year. I I'm hard to say that Paige isn't the best in the world. Like it's hard for me not to say that, but at the same time, watching Kristen play in the USA, these last few, let's say month, month and a half, it's hard to say that watching Kristen, every part of her game is solid. She's got a. Okay. They're break. They're breaking up again, but I want to let Nick get to this until they come back though and are reconnected. I do want to offer up the idea about the difference between best in the world and who might potentially win right now, head to head. So Nick, I was, I, we, I just kind of filled I in think, a little bit. I think, well, yeah, I think, I think that's a sign saying that I'm talking too much and not answering the question. It's hard for me not to say Paige Pierce being the number one player in the world, but I almost want to give it to Kristen the way I've been seeing her play these last few months I think all around she is playing the best out of everyone. I think we got two different rivalries here. I think we got a Paige and Kristen rivalry, and then we got a Henna and Evelina rivalry. Exactly, and it sucks because I don't want to put them all at one tournament. And I, I do, want them I, like, yes. throughout the year. I want them to play. Set, like, how many events do we call it to where we can actually pick someone? Is it three events? Is it six events? You know, I want them to tour against each other, and I'm, I'm praying for the day that that can happen to where we can have all these players back in the USA, to where the USA players can go back over to Europe. I want to see these battles happen again. And so, you know, that it's just like, yeah. Yeah. 
so to answer the question, and I was saying this when you were kind of cutting out a little bit there, is there's a difference in my mind, and I, people may laugh, but between the best player in the, like the best FPO player in the world and the player who's going to win next week. And that's different than it's used to have been. Uh, it used to be, yeah. it's obvious, where you'd be stupid not to choose Paige. But I think there's an actual case and debate to be made there now. If you have Kristen there, if you have Evelina there, if you have Henna there, if you have Katrina there. And, and now, I'm not even that crazy to say, if you have Missy Gannon there, that's, you know, the, I don't want to say full wild card, but that's like someone you can throw in the conversation. She just got her first Elite Series over Paige. So, mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. I think... While I'm not ready to say best player in the world is Evelina, even based off of world ranking stats by UDISC, I am willing to say that I think Evelina could win often against Paige. So it's not really, it's not that yeah. crazy of a take. So no, I, I, I completely agree with I, that. I think Evelina is still number one in the world. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I need to watch more coverage on Evelina. I don't think you can take that final round and, you know, no. same, same thing with Paul at, at uh, you know, Idlewild. Um, I don't think it was a choke. I think it was just a, I don't know, what we were discussing. Yeah, just having like forgetting um, how to, yeah, throw the disc well. And uh, I mean, it, it happens to everyone. There's no doubt things come up in your life that potentially affect that as well. Um, I think that's perfect. Yeah, you can't really rate it off that final round. And like I was saying, we obviously saw Evelina play three amazing rounds. She was killing it. She was playing great to where it kind of should have been a walk in the park. But that final round it got to her and it's hard not to say Evelina is the best, but at the same time, it's hard to pick an FBO player because we haven't been able to have them all compete against each other. It's tough. They're so, all, but I, they're it's good. almost like who's the best MPO player in the world right now. <laughs> like, dude, that, we that, need a whole that, show a just for that. We need a whole show just for that. I, I think we dude. need a whole show just for that. Yeah. And to wrap up hold this, yeah, hold the show. <laughs> to wrap up this recap on yeah. this is the longest event recap we've ever done because we had multiple events and we are catching up for a missed show. But anytime that Salonen has won, uh, has been in the lead, okay, going into the final round, thirty-four out of thirty-seven times she has won. So this is only three times that she hasn't won after being in the lead going into the final round. Um, and she has only lost once when leading by more than two strokes. So this is this is a big deal. I know she's probably pretty upset and heartbroken over it. I don't think this really plays out to her skills. I think, you know, as we said, and you guys said, I'm just recapping. It's It was a missed yeah. round. It was a missed round. So, all right. Mm-hmm. All of that being said, we do need to support those, or we want to say thanks to those who are supporting us. So let me go ahead and jump into that. All right, everybody. Attention listeners across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a grooming problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. Kick your grooming problems to the next planet with the performance package 4.0. You're gonna feel like you're in zero gravity When you use the best tools for the job and the leaders in male grooming, join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Be ready for takeoff. Go to manscaped.com for 20% off free shipping with the code Nick and Matt. Nick, are you still using your grooming products? I can tell you I'm using mine. Absolutely. I actually just used the, uh, we got the Weed Whacker (laughs) 2.0 recently. 
and that one is for the nose hairs. Oh. And fortunately, every so often I'd get that couple little nose hairs that stick out a little bit more than I want to on my big nose. And uh, when Manscaped sent me that weed whacker, I, it went straight to use. And they actually sent me some awesome cologne, which smells, I think, amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, as a male, hair grows and <laughs> Manscaped has hooked us up with <laughs> incredible products that make it not an issue anymore. And uh, so, yeah, like, like you said, we got to give thanks to those who support us. And also I want to give thanks to the people that have sent us messages saying that they have used yeah. the Nick and Matt show uh, code. I mean, it's saving people a lot of money. And I mean, Adam, uh, I could see a couple nose hairs coming out. Get on it. Get, get hey, that I, get one. I have used them. The products. <laughs> I'm it, laughing. Good. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because Nick goes at, as men, the hair grows. And I'm thinking, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's a human problem, which is why go over to manscape.com. Yeah. Okay. And I, I say this, these, these are designed for men, especially, but the women <laughs> can go buy them for their man. Okay. And I will say, they are fantastic product. I've used mine multiple times. If you if you're like me, you got these like caterpillar eyebrows, dude. I use it on the eyebrows. I use it on the ears. The this and I'll hold it up to the camera. This weed whacker, this thing is crazy, dude. You can stick it in your ear, up your yeah. nose, like. <laughs> I after camping and then coming back and doing that, I felt so fresh. I felt awesome. Yeah. Um, I will yeah. say, as all you the, mentioned, the the cologne. I, I'm really enjoying that as well. All their stuff is lightweight. It comes with incredible charging systems. Uh, they sent us some clothes as well that are super comfortable. So if you can order those as well, check out their clothes. And they're actually really funny. Anytime that I wear my Manscaped shirt at a putting league, a lot of people notice it. And it's just funny. <laughs> it, it, it says something that I won't say on the uh, podcast. You'll have to go and order your own shirt. But it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, Dude. Manscaped's incredible. And I, I love that they're actually getting into the sport of disc golf and helping us. It's It's great. That's what I want to say. In the end, this company is supporting disc golf. Their products are great. They've threw in two free gifts to their performance package 4.0. Um, boxers, which we already talked about as being awesome in the shed travel bag. Legit. These things are great. If you use the code Nick and Matt, you get 20% off free shipping worldwide. Mm -hmm. We totally appreciate them. Go check it out. Thanks for those who have already supported our show by supporting them. Um, all right, Nick, we are moving into, I, go ahead. I want to cut you off quick. I want to cut you off quick because this happens to me all the time. And you're a music guy, Matt, Adam, I don't know how much you dabble in the music industry or anything like that, but Matt and I are both musicians. Matt is a great singer, guitar player. Uh, I played the piano pretty much my whole life. And every single time someone says something that is like a lyrics, like Matt just said in the end and then finish on a sentence. And all I could think like off the bat was, in the end, it doesn't even matter. And then singing like Lincoln Park in my head. And then earlier he said, who do you? And I thought about that Gnarls Barkley song. That's like, who do you, who do you, who do you think you are? Like yeah. that always happens to me, like mid conversation with people. And <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it's so, it's really annoying sometimes. Cause I'll actually be trying to have a serious conversation and someone will sing like three words from lyrics from a song. And all of a sudden now that song is stuck in my head. So you got Lincoln Park stuck in my head for the rest of the night, Matt. I don't appreciate it. Now I'm going to play it when we get back in the truck. <laughs> it's yeah. really going to be Sounds good. Head. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, cool. All right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to sing anymore. I I don't want the millions of listeners that we have to get scared off of my singing. It's not good. All <laughs> right. So let's do this. We have a new segment. 
Nick. <laughs> I don't know why Nick laughs at my music selections, but it's called. Well, <laughs> you like you hit me up about the music for the uh, before we go into an ad. And I actually I love that song. I picked out the song that we do for our new intro. <laughs> I picked out the song that we do now for the uh, before we do ads and after we end ads, uh, and then Matt will get on these tangents of picking his own songs <laughs> for our new game show <laughs> segments, and I'm like, bro. I have to pick Anyways, what I think is gonna make Nick smile, and it does. So yeah. here we go yeah. again. All right, everybody. <laughs> Stat or fiction? Stat or fiction? So this came out of an episode two weeks ago. Um, Because we were off last week, where we had Evan from Stat Mando in studio, and he gave us a stat. And if you remember, it was some. <laughs> I'm gonna laugh, Evan. I'm so glad that you've given us um, this this opportunity to do this segment because he said, yeah. and Adam, I, I think you might have missed it. He said Paul made like a hundred and like twenty thousand dollars in his yeah. last like four Ledstone appearances, and we're like jaw dropped. We're like, no way. We're yeah. like. That's like so much money. And then he's like, wait, I think I might have messed this up. But the funny thing is Nick was like rolling with it for a while. He's like, Matt, you will not believe how crazy this stat is. And I'm like, so we Dude, have a new segment. I, I was mind blown. Stat or fiction. And first of all, as we get into this, it's notable to shout out notables in our feed. We had Dion Arlen of Stat Mando, but we also shout out to Nate. I mean, Adam Hammes, Tyler's Real Fishing in the chat and he said he said and he's dropping the bombs here adam is so lame adam can't catch any fish all caps (laughs) never (laughs) never so do you have anything you want to say to tyler's real fishing uh he's lying he's lying i outfished him the last time we went out so i don't know really know what he's talking about Uh, (laughs) this is no you gotta say well tyler reels can't make any putts when he's playing disc golf you gotta clap back at him adam well he really can't make putts, but I definitely <laughs> outfished him last time we went out. You I, say you outfished him? I did outfish him. No, stop. Is there a video? His, you know, knowledge to find the fish. <laughs> I did watch him. I threw as many casts as he did, and I caught more fish. There you go. That's I watched awesome. him play against Paul McBeth in that front nine, back nine, fish catch, disco, and he beat Paul. Yeah. So, I mean, shout out to Tyler. All right. Yeah. Well, he also kicked his ass. Tyler was a great guy. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah met Tyler, I met Tyler briefly at Waco. Uh, super nice dude. Oh yeah. And I'm not much of a fisher and I was kind of bummed that I had to leave when I did, but uh, I remember you guys were all saying you went out, you had a great time. I mean, super awesome. Just another person in the sport world. Uh, mm-hmm. cause he's a professional. Can you call him a professional fisherman? I don't know how, uh, I mean, yeah, he's, I don't really know his exact, he's a YouTuber does fishing videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure he competes. Don't hundred percent know that. Yeah, he's, uh, I think he comp- he competed at collegiate, you know, bass fishing tournaments yep. and then he, uh, He's done some professional stage tournaments, I believe, as well. Yeah. And uh, I think he's, you know, taking a little bit step back from the tournaments to focus yeah. on YouTube. Wicked, but wicked you, nice dude, if though. If you want to learn anything about bass fishing or fishing at all, go over to Tyler Reels Fishing YouTube because the guy knows his stuff. He yeah. makes premium videos. He's got a drone. I mean, the YouTube quality is off the charts with this guy. So, But, I mean, is he a liar? <laughs> he's not a liar. He did, okay, so he commented. <laughs> he commented back. We gave him enough time. He said, he did outfish me. Uh, he also has over two hundred. <laughs> he also has over two hundred thousand subscribers. So yes, he can talk about fishing. But yeah. we're going to talk about disc golf, and we want everybody to participate in this. All uh, well, right now we have live two hundred sixty four, and I will say 
people are saying Adam should be a co-host more often. This is great. Super awesome. So hey. there you go. So, all right, here's how it works. Stat Mando has given us, that was the longest intro ever. Stat Mando has given us uh, a series of questions. I have not read them myself yet. I will read question number one or not question. I guess it's a question, but is it real or is it fake? Okay. Is it stat? Is it a real stat or is it fiction? For instance, and here's the examples they gave. Nick Carl is rated higher than Matt Graham. Is that a stat or is that fiction? Nick. It's got to be a stat, right? My man. Thank you for the faith. I was hoping you would answer it. Uh, that's funny. So, yeah, that is a stat. I'm only, I think, uh, the update happened. I think I'm 956, and Nick is now 1,000, so he's got me. So, example two, this would be, uh, I don't want to say this is fiction. You have to decide. This is an example. Nick Carl has more Disc Golf Pro Tour wins than Paul Macbeth. <laughs> that is fiction. In the backyard putting, I have way more than him. But when it comes to actually playing pro tour events, I will never be close to him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, pe- What's that? <laughs> People are asking for me to uh, cut the theme music again and do the whole intro because we had such a long intro, but I'm not going to do that to everybody. So here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Question number one This is stat or fiction? Eagle McMahon accepted his first open cash before Drew Gibson did. So that's kind of, I don't want to say it's obscure. It's kind of like Eagle, you feel like is the younger player. You feel like Drew would have been, but everyone's going to have to make their own guess here. I'm talking out loud. So I think we've given long enough for a general reaction, Nick. We're going to put you on the spot, Nick. You have to give us your general reaction, your guess. I want to ask Adam this really quick, but Drew, how old is Drew? Do you know? Drew is 20. Four, five. Yeah, so Drew's younger than me. Drew's two or three years younger than me. And Eagle is, what, 22, 23? Maybe 24? Somewhere around there? 30. I mean, they're both within a couple of years in the same age bracket. But I remember seeing Drew for the first time on lead card at Memorial back in 2014. And I remember seeing Eagle on lead card in 2015 at GBO. So I almost want to say Drew Gibson accepted cash. So I would say... Uh, it's got to be Drew, I think. Okay, yeah, so, so what was it stat? So or, then uh, this would be a fiction in your opinion. Eagle McMahon fiction, accepted yeah. his first cash before Drew did. So you're saying that's fiction. That's not a stat. Yeah, right. I want to say that's fiction. I feel like Drew definitely chalked up a good couple good B tiers in the early days. Yeah. Because he's been around the sport for a good time. Because I don't think now. I've never heard him like for Am Worlds, but I, at the same time, I've never heard really Eagle with Am World stuff. So I don't know. It was a fact. All right. We have. Fiction. Fairly equal split in the chats coming in between stat, fact, fake, fiction. <laughs> we have almost everything coming in. Let's take a look. Or I'm going to take a look and see here. It, oh, snap. It is a stat. Eagle wow. McMahon first accepted open cash September 22nd, 2012. So that's what, about nine years ago. Drew Gibson yeah. first accepted cash. April of 2013. So a little, oh, what is that? September to April. So pretty close. I mean, what's, yeah. Pretty close. Six, seven months. Very close. Wow. Yeah. So, was, uh, yeah, like eight months was later yeah. was Drew. So that was a tough Dang. one. That was a stat. All right. Let's go back over to question number two. I don't think we nailed that one. I should have went against you guys. <laughs> question two. Paul Uliberry has a better average finish in disc golf pro tour events 
than Nate Sexton. This has to be all time, probably since 2016, I'm guessing. Euliberry has a better average finish than Nate Sexton. Fact or fake or fiction <laughs> or stat, mm. stat or fiction. We'll get this, this segment worked out. What do you think? Talk that one out. Yeah, that like, one's tough. Because they're both obviously, <laughs> well, they've been playing since the conception. Yuli plays of, all of them, and Nate Sexton necessarily doesn't play all of them. But Nate like Sexton is very consistent. Has won some. I'm going to go. I, I got to go Nate Sexton. I, so that would be a fact. I Do feel I Nate Sexton. I not say Yuli, but at the same time, last couple of tournaments, Yuli hasn't performed, and <laughs> they could be. Yuli was ahead until these last couple of tournaments. And so I almost want to say Sexton as well, because. Talk about safe Sexton, you know. Yeah, when I think of his game, you know, I think he's picking and choosing the events he wants to play. He yeah. knows what he needs to do at each one. I feel like he's, you know. I'd be curious. What's his lowest finish in a pro tour event? I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to go. That is fiction. I think Nate Sexton has a better average. And I think Adam's going to say the same thing. Was it? No, I think Sexton is packed. Yeah, that's yeah. What I mean. No, 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 no. It would be sex. If you're saying Sexton has a better finish, then this would be a fiction yeah. statement. Because it okay. said Paul yeah, Uliberry okay, so, had a better average. Okay. I actually feel the okay. same way. I feel like Nate Sexton has, I don't say has to, but I feel like Sexton has the edge here in better finishes. So let's take a look and see. We've got a lot coming in. Actually, a lot of fiction coming in on that one. So let's see how it played out here. Fiction. So that's that's correct. We said Paul Uliberry has a better average finish than Nate Sexton. That is fiction. The picture is good. So... Let's see. Paul Uliberry's oh, so we average. Right. Yep. Sorry, we froze. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if you were frozen on my side, yeah. so that's funny. <laughs> no, no, we're, we're, we're back now. Okay. Paul Uliberry's average finish, ready, was 20th place before Idlewild. So we aren't counting Idlewild because Sexton didn't play it. I don't know why that really matters, but anyways. 20th place before Idlewild and Nate Sexton average finish before Idlewild, 11.45. Almost like double as good. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that makes is sense. makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, actually, I mean, I don't know. Euliberry has been around so long and, and performs pretty well, but yeah, I guess we, yeah. we leaned the right way on Yuli that. Also, I, I mean, Yuli also had the big ACL injury and he came yeah. back what a year later and started competing back at all the elite series events. So hats off to him for consistently staying in the top 20 then. Uh, but you always got to think Nate Sexton just has this, safe way of playing disc golf and he's incredible i mean what do we go like 2019 or 2018 where we saw him on almost every single lead card and we saw him win a few events that year being um ledgestone and then what was it the year before he won usdgc which obviously not a pro tour event but sexton incredible player both of them incredible i don't, I don't know if i missed it but how many pro tours has Uliberry played compared to Sexton? I feel like Sexton has to be significantly less. <laughs> Evan, where are you? He said he was driving tonight, so I can't give any the answers. <laughs> but hey, he'll he'll listen to it though, and he'll actually get us he, that stat to where he might he even tweet at you or us. send you a message on DM, hey, like wait. Instagram or something like that. Wait. I feel like it's I feel like Yuli's probably played double the events of Sexton. I I would agree with that. I definitely say that's a stat. Just pro tours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hold on. Isn't there a way on their website for me to put them head to head and see? Yeah, actually go to statman. Hey, I am. And we're talking about Uliberry. Um, let me put them in here. Sorry, everybody, for this delay. I'm going to try out their website. This is an advertisement for them. And Nate Sexton. Um, we're going by last names here. Uh, did it Sexton? Okay. Compare. I don't know if it tells us full amount of events. 
We can see how many strokes they've played. It's only telling us head-to-head. So that's not really telling us how many events, but it's got to be somewhat close. So Yuli has 36 wins against Sexton. Sexton Did you find it? Yeah, Sexton has 53 wins against Yuli, and they have six ties. So it's 53 to 36 when they're at an event, but I don't know, you know, how many events that each of them played separately. With how great the team is over at Statmando, they'll get us that stat. We'll be able to talk <laughs> about it either next week or, I mean, you can shoot, tweet it. They'll out. probably DM it to one of us and All we'll right. be able to tweet about it. Final question. Final question here. Oh boy. Kevin Jones. This is where we need that, like, who wants to be a millionaire? Music that, like, yeah, actually, sound effects. That'll be our next addition to this the buzzers and all that. Okay. Kevin Jones, first disc golf pro tour event was before. Calvin Heimberg's first disc golf pro tour event. So who played their first DGPT event before the other person? Who was the first one to do it out of those two? This, this has got to be a week, but a week off. It's got to oh, be. Oh, wow. Why do you feel it's that way? Because, just from, just from your okay, life. What do we think the first event is? Is Memorial the first disc golf pro tour? I mean, we got to go back to 20, what, 17? 2016. 16. Oh. What was the first Pro Tour in 2016? I mean, I would have to say it would be oh, Memorial. It no, was it? There was, only like, there was only like three or four, right? It wasn't a lot. And but Memorial, I think, was the inaugural, I think. Was Calvin there? Was Calvin? Because oh Calvin, goodness. was he still in school at that point? And was Kevin, Kevin back then, was he still pro I got to go Calvin, I think. All right, I'll go Devil's Advocate. I'll go Kevin. So I think, what was the question? Kevin... Uh, played his first pro tour. I would say that's a stat and Adam's going to go on the fiction side of things. Okay. And I was just trying to look real quick and see if I could find 2016 results. Uh, but unfortunately the DGPT.com, when you go there says 404 page, not found. Okay. Um, so man, I'm going to go with Calvin Heimberg. What did you guys say? I missed it. Who had the first event? Calvin. Okay, so I say the same thing. We're saying the same thing. So we're saying yeah. this is fiction. Let's see I'm how saying it plays Kevin. out. Oh, you are saying Kevin. So me and Adam are on the same here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It is, whoa, 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 whoa. It's fiction, but hold on. Hold on. It's fiction. Bonus points. It was the same event. <laughs> so they started at the same event. Now, so technically it's fiction. Oh, uh, Yeah. No, that makes sense. What if we go down to tea times? Who teed off first? <laughs> that yeah, we got to pull up no, that it would history. Be, it would be who finished first. I don't first. even know. Can you even? Pull it would be the last. It would be the last million years ago. It would be the last round. Who finished first would technically be who yeah. played their first pro tour. Whoever Edmund, played the first. If you can somehow figure tour? that stat out, Statmando, get after it. Statmando, <laughs> we need you on this one. Well, what was the event, Matt? Okay, you ready? Yeah. Oh, this is the bonus points. We were apparently wrong. Now. They didn't start in 2016. That's even a crazier thing to me. This was 2017. Um, so they announced it in 2016. Yes. I think they had a few events in 2016. Like it was like Maple and oh, a but few they others. Didn't, they, didn't play one one in, they didn't play one until 2017. Is that what you're saying? I don't know. You guys. I'm not sure. We're going to have to come back with that info. But it was Ledgestone in 2017. Ledgestone in 2017. Um, 
So that was their first event. Others whose first Disc Golf Pro Tour event was in 2017. Here's Notables. Again, as we wrap this up, Nick, don't look at the answers. Serious question. Who others played their first Disc Golf Pro Tour event in 2017 at Ledgestone? Yes, that's that's Nick. I'm asking you a question. Sorry, I we froze up again. Oh, we gotta figure what out what's other going player? On with that. But um, what, what other was players? Sorry, I caught your question okay. late. What other players experienced their first disc golf pro tour event in 2017 at Ledgestone? Um, let's go. <laughs> Josh Anton. Uh, nope. Damn it. Let's go. Camp Cole Glazer. All right, Ooh, you're just gonna KJ go through Nibble. the whole thing. Okay, here, no, you ready? You ready? Here's maybe those, maybe those yeah. are accurate, but they aren't in this list here. Here, I'm gonna give you a list. Isaac oh, okay. Robinson. Right, give, give me, give me. Okay, give me Isaac list. Robinson, Ezra Robinson, Andrew Marweed, Chris Clemens. You ready for this? I don't know if you're out there, Hunter Thomas, but this was your first event. And guess who else? It's listed as oh. their first EGPT. Me. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Hunter, Hunter Paul and I drove out to <laughs> Illinois. We stayed at Nate Heinold's house in the RV. That's so funny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's know was my first pro tour event, <laughs> and I felt I felt awful because I was like, bruh, I suck at this call. <laughs> that was my first ever scoring error that I've ever had because that was before, like, dude. You had a scoring error? Yeah, because that year we were playing Eureka all four rounds, and bruh. Do you know how many eights, sevens, and nines I was taking oh, that yeah. week? Like, I took an 11 one year. I'm math math was six. hard. And what's funny is I actually said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about my scoring error is that I actually shot better than I thought. So I got stroked. So then I shot worse. It actually put me on the cut line. I was the first card to tee off the next day. And I remember it was like three quarters of the way through the round. This massive like marching band started playing down the street. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's yeah Hunter, Hunter Thomas and I did we, we went to that event all right so oh my god that's so funny what place did I get oh actually I just closed I, it I don't think they gave oh, that yeah, yeah I guess it. no we'd have to we'd have to look it up and you guys yeah. just froze up again you okay we're gonna we're getting close to the end here and you guys are not it's not so bad hey why does it keep pulling up my advertisement here I gotta fix that too um I don't know how I did all that. I'm all messed up now. What but, all right, they're back. Um, we're moving. We're moving on from. <laughs> Let's go, Matt. I got. Go ahead. I got 128th place at the Ledgestone Assurance Open. I was one, two, three. Yeah, I was the still fourth to last player <laughs> that made the cut. <laughs> <laughs> that event. That event was so demoralizing. Funny. I was a 957 rated player that I could go out. All right. All right. Oh, so anyways, I do. Hunter, Hunter Thomas, Hunter Thomas beat me by 10 at that tournament. Wow. All right. So let me see here. I've got a lot of pages open, but I wanted <laughs> to touch on something here. Uh, okay. The disc golf pro tour match play championships. Okay. Significant. Um, what is going on tonight? There's bugs in the system. Okay. Match play championship. Who qualified? Because following Idlewild, that was the cutoff for the match play championships. Um, good thing. I just realized 
Adam Hammes made it in. I was going to feel bad if we were like, who made it in? Did you know? Did you, is this something you've been tracking, Adam, or not at all? Uh, a little bit. I've, I don't really know too much about the event, honestly. I haven't really looked at it a whole lot. Okay. I do know it's the same weekend as Battle of Bedford. Um, Ooh. So I, haven't, I want to go to Battle of Bedford, and I want to go to that, so I don't know what I'm doing yet. September 16th and 19th is what they've listed, Steel Club in Hellertown, Pennsylvania. Uh, and this notably <laughs> is the first disc mania sponsored like pro event in the u.s um and i say pro oh, event i go. mean i mean at like a higher level oh. and so this is their first so good job for disc mania deciding this was the event um here's who made it i'm going to give you a list read you off the list ricky wysocki calvin heimberg eagle mcmahon paul mcbeth kevin jones kyle klein nico lacastro james conrad adam hammis Ezra Aderhold, Drew Gibson, Garrett Gerthy, Joel Freeman, Gavin Rathbun, Chris Clemens, and this is a storyline right here, Chris Dickerson. And the reason why that's a storyline is because he was not going to make this cut for the match play. Emerson Keith was likely to, and Emerson did not play good at Idlewild. So yeah. that, that ruined his chances, Dickerson slid in there i'm excited about watching this um match play and half the field i say half the field eight fpo players Paige pierce katrina allen missy gannon jessica weiss sarah hokum kona panis Haley king deanne carey um i'd go down a little bit here surprised people that didn't make it in but i don't want to hurt anybody's feelings <laughs> there, there's a surprise list of people here where i'm like wow yeah. they, they didn't make it into the match play but I thought yeah. that was worth talking about. It is going to be an event that I personally think for the fan, it's going to be very fun to watch. Um, mm -hmm. How do you feel about match play, Adam? If you choose to play it, like, how do you feel about match play? Is that going to, does it sound fun to you or is it about money yeah, or, it, or what is it? Um, it definitely sounds fun. Um, I don't even know what like the money looks like, but I'm not really worried about that part. Um, definitely want to be there for the first one um, and experience it. Um, yeah. Cool. I, I, like I said, I don't know too much about it. I know what match play is, obviously, and I can kind of grasp the idea of what's going to happen, but I really haven't heard a whole lot. Yeah, me neither. I had to actually go search it out on the website to see, you know, what was going on with it. It says, let me see. Creating true championship aura is important for the Disc Golf Pro Tour and Disc Mania, and the purse is projected to include a minimum of $20,000 added cash for the field of 24. Wow, that's actually really big. And I don't know if you heard this last part. I said added $20,000 cash for a field of 24. That's big. Dang, I, uh, I did not, I did not know really that at all. That's, yeah, that's badass. Okay, um, I think Adam's I'm, mind I'm has been made it up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, battle for Bedford. Now that I hear the numbers, I'll probably be there. Yeah. Um, what's it called? I'm I'm super excited to watch a match play event between the top pros, and I think one of the reasons for that is we can kind of get a general concept of how they're going to play match play because, from what it stands right now in 2022, we are still going to have that major that is four rounds of stroke play and then two rounds of match play for the top four mm -hmm. players. So I mean, I'm curious to see how they'll play it. I'm very intrigued to see the course that they're playing it on. And I think it's a golf course that Steve bro, Steve Brinster and Simon Lazat actually went out. And I think 
I think Steve and Steve had the most design opinions on it. I think Simon went out, filmed a vlog out there of kind of casually playing the course, but also giving his insight. Um, from what I remember, it's on a golf course, which thank God I'm not in the match play championships because I would lose. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm curious. All right. Uh, we're getting into our mixed bag here at the end. And we're getting ready. I don't want to say, if I say ready, people think five minutes, but here's the deal. I have curiosity just to see how you guys feel about this. It's something I thought about. Our sports center, and I mean like ESPN sports center, are the sports center feature clips a big deal anymore? Do you remember the hype it used to be? Like literal hype when um, Nate Doss, right? Memorial, Fountain Hills, hole one, throws the ace, big deal. It's been a big deal for a little while. Nate Sexton's had him on there. Paul Uliberry. It's been a handful. But Dickerson made it in with his ace at Idlewild. I don't know if you knew that. He made it on SportsCenter. But mm-hmm. is it like, I don't know. Is it a big deal anymore? I kind of felt like, oh, really? Like, it was like I had to hear, like, secondhand that it even happened. So, I don't know. How do you feel? Yeah. Big deal? I I think any time that disc golf is featured on... Yes, but I shouldn't say any time because we shouldn't be celebrating every single great shot that goes in. But at the same time, for the amount of publicity that I think it helps towards the sport, uh, I mean, with every single positive thing, you're going to get people negatively saying comments and crap like that. You're going to see that all over the internet all the time. But yeah, when we have incredible shots happen, like James Comrade's shot at Worlds, Chris Dickerson's shot at Idlewild, Nate Doss's shot back at Memorial, when that kind of pioneered getting onto SportsCenter. I mean, I think that's great. As long as we're not oversaturating it, I think we're kind of in a happy medium to where incredible shots that are deserving of getting on Sports mm-hmm. Center are getting on Sports Center, ESPN, or anything like that. So, I I like where it's at right now. I think more. I mean, though, I think the more people you know tune into ESPN and see something disc golf related, the bigger the sport's going to get because mm-hmm. you know not everyone watches the, the the top ten you know plays of the week or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so if we you know maybe get, you know, one shot in for every single top 10 segment, you know, eventually more and more and more people will see it. And I think even people that watch ESPN all the time, see, you know, disc golf once you're like, Oh, disc golf. And they see it again. They see it again. They see it again. It's going to legitimize our sport a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, Oh, you know, disc golf is, you know, professional enough to, you know, ESPN wants more, more content, more content. So I think the more we can get on ESPN, I think the better. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that too. And, um, if they're obviously great shots, obviously but one of the things, yeah. One of the things I was going to say along that is <laughs> I used to wake up and I would watch the NBA top 10 that happened the night before. And I love watching basketball. I love mm-hmm. competing and playing basketball, but there are some disc golf shots that I think are way more deserving. Like what drew Gibson did, what Chris Dickerson did, James Conrad, or James Conrad shot. Um, I like watching those maybe because I'm in love with the sport of disc golf, but I like watching those more than, you know, uh, a dunk or something like that. Yeah, I just, poster. I think like, you know, people that saw, you know, Drew Gibson's throwing at, at Ledgestone on ESPN. Mm-hmm. It's just intriguing. Like, yeah, people yeah. see it like, it's a sick shot. and then it gets their head spinning and it makes them think. Yeah. And that's all we need to do right now to grow the sport is just put yeah. a video in front of them. This is what disc golf is and let them think. I don't know. There's something in the air lately because people have been throwing shots in left and right. I feel like Paige Pierce had a massive Eagle at Ledgestone, Missy Gannon just threw in a massive shot on hole 14 at Idlewild. 
Drew Gibson over at Ledgestone, um, Chris Dickerson getting an ace. Like people yeah. are throwing in. What about of shots over shout out shots to lately. yeah shout out to the European Championships, uh, Katie oh. Tate or however you say it. Yeah, four hundred and twenty six feet. Four hundred and twenty six yeah. like, feet throwing. That's wild. Throwing. Like my furthest ace is four hundred twenty feet. I mean, that's sick. That's so really so that shot. should make it on ESPN. Like. People would have liked to see it, an FPO player doing something like yeah. that too. And and in a different country, you know, people are like, wow, this is played around the world. I think it's a it's a good thing. I think the hype isn't as big for disc golfers anymore, though. I've seen a pr- a pretty tremendous change. It used to be hashtag ESPN, you know, SC t- top 10, like millions of shares. Like that's, we got to get mm-hmm. this on there. But now here's the interesting part. They're just like getting put on there without us going out of our way to like go crazy sharing it. It's happening more and, often on its own. I mean, I'd say that. Pro Tour elevated in the game right there. Yeah, exactly. It's just the connections. Yeah. Disc Golf Pro Tour, but also live disc golf. Yeah. You wouldn't be seeing these shots without the live disc golf. And being able to put it up to where that night or early the next morning, this shot that you heard about making mm-hmm. it on Sports Center, that, you know, that's it's incredible. Disc I Golf agree. Pro Tour just exceeding the limits of what we thought they were going to do. It's just, we say this almost every single week. But shout out to Jeff Spring and his staff <laughs> of everyone. Yeah, they're they're insane. I love what they're doing. I cannot wait to compete at two of my favorite Pro Tour events in the next few weeks and be back up in New England. So looking forward. If there to was it. no disc golf Pro Tour, I probably wouldn't be playing disc golf on tour professionally. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make it a career choice. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's when I always go back wow. to. And this is no offense to the current state, but thank you, Steve Dodge. His vision is thank what. Thank you. Yes. Yep. His vision is what yep. got us to this point. I'm sure it was hard handing it over, but he did it. And yeah. it's blossoming, and I'm sure that makes him very proud. I still text him fairly regularly. He still wants to be yep. – uh, he's doing stuff. Check out DG Rankings. That's a free shout-out for him. DG Rankings, you can see his own ranking system that he yep. has compiled and works on every single event. Uh, thank you, mm-hmm. Steve Dodge, but Jeff Spring for taking it where it is now. Um, and as you said, transition, Disc Golf Network, and this was a thought I had this week. I wrote it down. I said, it's yet again worth its weight in whatever it is that I pay. I don't even know what I pay at this point because I, I didn't ever do the discount thing through P- whatever. I just paid for it. It's automatic every month. Mm-hmm. People that are complaining, yep. that's fine. I'm not there to judge their finances. But every time something like happens at Idlewild or Worlds, I'm like, that's that's worth 50 bucks. Like it's it's yeah. it's a paper. It, I'm stuttering because I just feel like it was really good. The quality I'm seeing with the replays and the extra card coverage. And you just missed this on this hole over here. Here's how this played out on hole 16. And now we're back live with every you haven't missed a thing. It's amazing. So it's great. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. And then um, these last few shout outs. Paige Pierce wins her 30th disc golf pro tour at Idlewild. 30 disc golf pro yeah. tour events. That's unbelievable. We, we were talking about that actually before we even got onto the show. I think Adam and I were talking about it with Paul and Jeff. Mm-hmm. It's just like that is an insane stat. And kudos on her. I'm curious. I don't know exactly how many disc golf pro tour events there have been. But well, how many has she played? How many has she lost? Probably that's another stat. Players. That's another that's another that stat. Matter? Yeah. How many has she how many of these players played? That'd be an interesting number. To, to track somehow yeah. in their spreadsheets or whatever they're using. Um, yeah. Oh, real quick. This is a whole topic, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, pass this over. And I don't do this often, but pass this over to our 
uh, partner podcast, if you will, here at the Foundation Podcast. Go check out, check out Griplock. They talked about this in this just last Thursday episode is USDGC and how it's going to be aired through the Disc Golf Network. Just generally speaking, mm. USDGC mm-hmm. is hosting their tournament coverage through uh, DGN. But if you're a subscriber to DGN, it doesn't mean it's free for you. It just means you're a subscriber to DGN and now you can do a pay-per-view on the event. So anyways, there's a whole conversation there. But um, yeah. <clears throat> last, last three things here. Am Worlds is taking place right now. And mm-hmm. you're seeing a competitor who won the U.S. Uh, amateur Championship, thousand eight rated player, I think, or thousand eighteen, I forget something significant. Is that is that Cade? No. Uh, U.S. Amateur. I don't. I don't remember his name now. He won the U.S. Amateurs this year, and now he's playing Worlds. At what point do you feel like if you're a thousand and eight player, you're not an amateur? Now, that's a whole conversation. I feel like amateur is defined by whether or not you're accepting cash. I mean, or pro. Good for him. He's obviously probably favored to win it. I think the next highest is like 982 or something. Mm-hmm. What day would that start? Sorry, I'm looking it up right now. It's okay. Adam can keep talking because I'm curious. All right. And then the last thing, and it's funny. I, I don't know if Hunter or Trevor are going to listen or even get this far in this, this long show. But here is a, as Hunter always says, fan favorite. Let me give you the, this rule question and see how you would play it. Aaron Gossage, we had him on the show, I don't know how many episodes ago, but he played Leadstone, mm-hmm. and he's been actually playing mm-hmm. really well. I think he's top 20 in Disc Golf Pro Tour standings right now. Um, oh, good for him. All right, you ready for this? You played this whole uh, Nick and I think Adam. He throws his disc on the water tower hole at Leadstone. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. him post on the social media about this. His disc lands nope. too close to call, whether it's OB or N, for the spotter for sure. So the spotter gives the, you know, hey, it could be either. And so because of that, and this is what you would probably recommend, right? Go to the drop zone and throw a provisional, right? Because yep. it might be in, might not. Let's throw a provisional so we don't have to walk all the way back. So he throws a provisional. Get this. His provisional throw hits his disc that was too close to call actually out of bounds nobody saw where the disc had come to lie on the first throw how do you play that how do you play that his disc hit his disc out of bound on a provisional did it push it Uh, inbounds or back more out of bounds it pushed it out officially out of bounds and this is obviously not the answer to (laughs) how do you play the rule but I'll say this. The water tower hole is a par three where his disc was, was probably an extra 150 foot walk. Maybe it's like an 80 feet, 80 feet. Okay. So it's an only an 80 foot walk. His card mates and him should have checked the disc beforehand before throwing the provisional. Hold on. Um, I do. You I think, do, but I do think <laughs> 99% of the time I'm only saying this to where like, look, this is a one in million shot that pause. <laughs> like this is like just a freak of nature thing that caused even what we're talking about right now. If it was a par four and the drop zone was 300 feet away, like hole one at Ledgestone at Eureka. Okay. If someone, if it's too close to call, you obviously throw a provisional and then who knows what happens from there. But with this one where it's not a super far walk to get to the disc and walk back to the drop zone to actually play as a provisional or whatever, 
I think they should have done that. But to be honest, had I been on a card with Adam, you, me, and Evan Kearns, I literally would have been like, nah, just throw your shot first, throw your provisional first, and then we'll go walk up and check it out. Like, I'm obviously only saying my answer because we're thinking about it after the fact. And it's so easy I'm to just say being after petty. the fact, though. Like, oh, think, yeah. That's the only reason why I thought of it. I think almost 100% of the players in the field would have thrown a provisional and wouldn't have walked up. Because that's that's what I would have done too. Everyone I would have been like, that. "Hey, I don't think one call. player would have walked up there and said that." Because yeah. the odds of that happening are yeah. so bad. I know that's so, crazy. I didn't even know that happened. So what so, happened? Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say. So here's how I I found his social media post right now. He says, "When he got up to my lie, the spotter said that my shot from the drop zone had hit my original drive and knocked it an inch out of bounds." He said the original lie was exactly on the line but it would need a group decision to call it in or out. So what are you supposed to do when that happens? He said, and he posted a picture. Um, I guess I'll call it out because it's public. Joel Freeman says, that's a crazy scenario, dude. I hope your group gave it to you. I would rule it as benefit to the player player without hesitation based on the spotters report. Um, So generally speaking, Adam, if a disc is hit or, the wind somehow gets really windy and picks it up and blows it down the fairway further. The group sees where it was, puts it back. Right. Mm. So like, well, I'm like saying it comes to rest. I'm talking about it comes to rest swims. I'm saying if your disc came to rest in a field and a huge gust of wind picked it up and then blew it further, it was where it last came to rest is my understanding. I believe you would be able to put it back. Same if like a dog ran over there and picked it up and like, right. You know, so, um, right. So yeah. in this situation, is that, I mean, I'm not saying right or wrong yet. I'm saying if the disc was moved out and the group saw it move, they could put the disc back, right? Yes. Okay. But in Aaron Gossage's situation, it's tough because you, nobody saw it, you know, well, nobody saw it. the, the spotter saw it and said it was on the line. So at that point, that's the group, we can't, the group's going to have to make take, a decision. Because you could take the spotter's benefit. Yeah, you know? thank you. Thank you for the spotter for even going out and spotting probably that whole weekend. But at the same time, it does have to come down to a group decision. I think that's what's tough. I'd love to be able to say, look, if it was my card, I would have checked the disc first before throwing it. But more than likely, <laughs> that's not the case yeah. whatsoever. But like at that point, you got to play it out of bounds, right? Well, I'm, I appreciate that we're bringing I mean, all different perspectives here. I think if I I'm on know. the card, I walk up and and there's nothing against using all of the information that I can gather to make a, a ruling as a team, as a card member. There's nothing wrong with using all the information. And if the, if the spotter's telling me, no, it was on the line because it's not the spotter's job to call it. That's why he said it's too close. Like it's not his job to do that. But when a card walks up and says what happened and he goes, it got hit out. It was on the line. The group could say, well, based off of the information we know, and he's saying it was this way, I don't have any issue with the group saying it was inbounds. But it's so crazy. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's how they played it, I think. Let me just double check and see. I don't yeah, that's know. That's a pretty wild situation. Yeah, I'm thinking about it in my head and just like, dude, that sucks. I like, wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> I feel like you got to take yeah. what the spotter would think because the spotter's got to, you know, obviously he's got to let the group make the call, but yeah. he's got to have an opinion too. So I don't know. Can you take? I don't know. I don't know. But his opinion, opinion. This is going to sound really douchey. I'm not. I'm not trying to make it sound douchey at all. But like, his opinion doesn't matter in a sense. No, it it comes down to the card all day. No, 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 no. no, no. His opinion doesn't matter. 
but it's information that can be used by the group to make a decision. It doesn't oh, have sure. to be like, yeah. It, so my point is, situation, it's yeah. all on the spotter, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, let me Dude, just look real whoever, quick. Whoever the spotter was, sorry, that sucks. <laughs> That's like, I would have probably given him it if the rules allow. I don't know. That's gonna be a tough. How do you even yeah. find that one in the rule book? Okay, here, hold on. I, oh, I'm gonna, you want to know what would be great is if we had officials at these events it would be rules officials if the pdga sent them out i don't even want to get started on that but at the same Uh, time where did gossage finish Uh, wait this was uh, ledstone right yeah this was ledstone um i don't think he was having a good round if i remember correctly i'm just trying to see how that whole played out and then we're going to literally get ready to sign out the show uh i'm how do you find them quicker there's a lot of players at ledstone Oh, I guess you can go by name. Okay, he I found him. Place ninety second. Yes, ninety second. And what hole is the water tower hole? Twelve. Twelve. I think. Twelve. Ooh, maybe a seven. Oh, he didn't. He didn't make he the twelve. C- he got a seven on twelve. What round is this? Round seven. three. That can't be. Oh, that was the final round. Is that the one that got canceled? Round three? Yeah, it's it's 12. 380, what, 354? Yeah, it's, a, it's uphill. What okay. the hell is this 13th, <laughs> Okay, we're getting really boring podcast here, but let me just see one last section here. Hole 12, you got a six in round two. I'm going to assume no. they ruled it out. Oh, uh, what round am I? Round yeah. four, he got a two. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm at Ledstone. But yeah. we'll look it up. Round four, where they played at... I got a four. Eureka, correct? No, I tooted. All right. So hole twelve. Like I went. Aaron Gossage I went got a two. Triple birdie, triple. You forward it. <laughs> All right, go check it out, people. If you're interested in that, that's a he, very interesting got, rule. Uh, was that the first round or the second round? Or the fourth round? I mean, how many rounds were played at Ledstone, Nick? Four. And the first round and the fourth rounds are the ones that played at. Wait, Holy wasn't cow. Ledstone like, canceled in the last round? Yeah. Oh, that's a good freaking point, man. That is a good point. He finished his round, but it didn't count. <laughs> oh, so this whole conversation. I don't was, even oh, know what round it was. God. I don't even know what round it was. If I have to look Matt, this is You're doing me a stat mando, Evan Kearns, right now, telling me Paul made 110 grand at Ledstone. You're not even giving me all the facts, and you're making me sound like a fool. August sixth. August sixth. What round was that? That was a Friday round. Is that what round was that on Friday? Thursday, Friday. That's the second round. Yeah, but the second round was played at Northwoods. All right. I don't know. You played the event. Yeah. Yeah. Eureka. Northwoods. Northwoods. Eureka. Yeah. So he made the post. Oh, okay. August fifth. What was Friday? First Thursday. Thursday. No. Thursday's first round. Was, that happened in the first round. Okay, that happened in the first round. Done. All right. Sorry, yeah. everybody, for all this boring talk. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we just we just lost all two hundred fifty people. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. No, actually, we have the most live viewers we've had all night, so that's excellent. They're gonna think our show oh, is horrible. Nice. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say tremendous thank you. Uh, you're around, Adam. We appreciate you taking your time. It's a long podcast, but people love it. They drive around listening. They work with it. They work out with it. They cut up human body parts while listening to it. No joke. There's a lot of weird things going on during our podcast. Um, 
I don't want to say the last word. I'll let you say the last word and then Nick, I guess. So let's close it out. Go ahead, Adam. Got anything else to say? I just uh, appreciate letting me come on. Uh, it's wonderful being co-host. Um, love to do it again. This was a blast. Yeah. Uh, super chill, super fun. Talked about a bunch of cool disc golf things. Matt and I have um, some pretty cool ideas going for the MVP Open. We're going to do a different style show, but I'm trying to get a couple guests on. We're going to make it like a late night show kind yeah, of thing. Dude. It's going to be pretty sweet. Um, cool. But we want to just say thank you, Adam. Thank you for spending your time. Um, excited for the week to unfold. I'm excited to take you out to New London tomorrow. Uh, I want to just say thank you to everyone listening. I want to say thank you to uh, Botanical or Hempfield Botanicals and Manscaped for sponsoring the show and helping us out. Uh, everyone tuning in, please leave a like, comment, subscribe to the YouTube channel on the Foundation Podcast Network. Thank you to anyone listening on the um, podcast different sites like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everything like that. Go ahead, check it out, leave a review, tell your friends about the Nick and Matt show because every so often we're going to have special guests like Adam Hammes in the room acting as a guest host. Let us know who you want to see as a guest host in one of our future episodes. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. And because people are going to be pounding on it saying, hey, did how did they rule for Aaron? I looked it up. You don't have to hold your breath anymore. They gave it to him in bounds. He hit the birdie putt from 27 feet. Nick, hey, Nick, Adam, man. you're awesome. We'll see you around. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.